Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is brought to you by Oz Runways, Australia's most cost-effective and easy-to-use electronic flight bag for iPhone and iPad. Get a free one-month trial today at ozrunways.com and by Jetride Australia. Be a top gun for the day and experience the ultimate thrill ride in our L39 jet. Visit jetride.com.au slash pcdu for the fastest ride in the country. Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 98 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. This is our 18th and final program for 2012 and uh, welcoming to the studio with me is Grant McHeron. Grant, you've made it all the way over here for the first time this year. Oh mate, it was a pretty hard drive. And what do you mean first? Oh, I guess it is the first time for PCDU, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you've had a few other recording sessions here, mate, but uh, yeah. welcome. Good to see you, mate. Yeah. I, I wonder what you look like. Oh mate, it was pretty hard. To, you know, I, I almost got here and then I remembered I'd forgot my passport and I couldn't get through the uh, barricades into Cranbourne. Oh, there you go, there you go. Well, this being the final show for 2012, we thought we'd kick back and uh, take it easy with a little hangar flying this evening with two of our resident co-hosts and uh, I'll introduce them shortly. But of course, it wouldn't be an episode of PCDU without some fun interviews and uh, recently out at our annual Christmas bash there at uh, Turretin Airport in Victoria, we uh, we managed to record a few with the uh, mobile studio there. We spoke to a couple of the guys from uh, Commando Skydivers as uh, they celebrated the uh, festive season by jumping out out of, uh, well, as many perfectly serviceable aircraft as possible, and they uh, seem to be having a great time at that. We also caught up with uh, Dan O'Donnell from Matt Hall Racing and the Royal Australian Air Force in his spare time. And, uh, of course, our uh, favourite airport operations manager, Angie Marino, dropped in as well, and, uh, boy, did she have some great stories to tell us about some of the adventures that she's been having in uh, 2012. Amazing stuff, so uh, make sure you stick around for that. Also, Anthony the Infrequent Flyer Simmons drops in for his final view from the lounge for 2012, and uh, I'll tell you what, this time he's got a somewhat disturbing admission that will uh, shock even the most hardened of av geeks. But uh, as I said, we've got a cast of thousands tonight, a couple of our uh, resident co-hosts, and uh, joining us on the line from his palatial new semi-airport under construction near Adelaide, it's Baz Sheffers. How are you, Baz? G'day, it's good. I've got a runway in the front yard. That is fantastic. Uh, well, not, uh, not quite yet, but there's a room for one, and uh, we're going to be working on it soon. Oh, that's that's excellent, mate. And all you need now is, is an aircraft that's registered. Oh, I was registered yesterday. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll get on to, good, good we'll, to go. I'm going to go flying in the morning. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll get into that little saga very, very shortly. But uh, also joining us is somebody who lives actually not too far from a runway at Melbourne Airport. It's ATC Ben. How are you, Ben? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, not at work for once. Uh, so I'm enjoying the evening. So what have we all been up to, Baz? Uh, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Uh, in fact, I think the last time was uh, when you and Anthony Crichton Brown and I were uh, talking about uh, all things iPads. Yeah, that's quite possibly. I've been very, very busy this year. Yes, very busy and, and making yourself uh, rather wealthy. Uh, we're, we're getting there. Doing an outstanding job. Of course, you've been busy with Oz Runways and uh, doing uh, very well there. But a uh, couple of things we wanted to chat with you about tonight uh, surround RAOs. And we might also talk a little bit later about what's been happening with uh, the fight to save uh, El Dinga, which is an airport I know you're quite familiar with. But uh, oh, yes. let's talk about RAOs now. We've had a lot of people uh, writing into us. Uh, letting us know about problems with the registration process there and uh, there's there's uh, happenings with CASA and they don't seem to be too happy with RAOs and what's happening, mate? It's a long story and also a short story. So in a nutshell, when aircraft have been registered and when they've uh, changed ownership, 
Uh, at times, not all the rules have been followed. And uh, well, you can imagine the enormous safety lapses that come from not having photographic evidence of the, uh, the registration numbers painted on the right side of your aircraft on file. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just ask uh, Tiger Airways, mate. That's yeah, same exactly. Kind of no, that, thing they got them for. Yeah, so there there have been basically some problems with what has been uh, with the record keeping from Ariel's. Uh, most of the time, it's been very simple things. Like for my aircraft, uh, there was a uh, there wasn't a picture on file of the placard that says people fly it at their own risk because it's not a certified aircraft. And basically, CASA has been on the case with Ariel's to get this sorted for a long time, and uh, they weren't working through it fast enough and Kessa said enough is enough. Uh, you're not al- no longer allowed to renew registrations unless you've inspected a file which which basically meant a big backlog uh, of a few hundred aircraft I think at the moment. No one's really talking but it seems like a few hundred aircraft. Mine had been unregistered for uh, just about three weeks. To be honest, I think the backlog is probably about a month at the moment if they keep going depending on how much work you're going to do over Christmas. And one of the things that made it slow down is that uh, CASA wanted someone in there from the the day hired. I don't think it's actually a CASA employee, but it's a a consultant that they've um, put in there. And that person was the only one who could actually give final sign-off for renewals. So the staff and some board members and volunteers were working at trying to get these files sorted and contacting aircraft owners to find the missing data. And then you, it finally came onto the pile of that one person. And when uh, he signed off, uh, you could fly again. So it was at the time of renewal, yeah? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the sticking points that really I have a problem with is that uh, we, we are required to be a, a member of the aircraft to be registered under well, with, with Recreational Aviation Australia. Now, if you compare that to, say, VH registered aircraft with CASA, there is no such thing as a renewal. An mm. aircraft is either registered or it's not. Um, so to have that arbitrary link between registration renewal and that file having to be checked is basically you were grounded by the luck of the draw. Just, just whenever your re- registration renewal was due, um, if you were in that period that, they were, uh, that they've got these problems, like I am now, and it's been going on for a few months and probably will be another few months, so say at least a quarter of the aircraft, you just get grounded. While the other people whose file may not be up to date are just flying around happily. Yeah, it's an it's an administrative grounding. Yeah, so, it is. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the aircraft. Of course, they're, I understand they're trying to look for aircraft. There's something wrong with uh, with really dodgy uh, registration details and dodgy certificates of airworthiness. But in nine out of ten aircraft, that's not the case. It's simple things like these photographs that are missing or nothing at all. They just were at the bottom of the pile and they took weeks uh, after expiring their registration to get to the top and someone to look at it and say, oh, this is actually okay. So, mate, one question I've got is uh, they, they need to have confirmation that you've got the, the registration and you've got the placard and all that kind of stuff. The registration, yeah, okay, that's pretty hard to fake and, unless you're pretty good with Photoshop. But what's to say it's uh, definitely your placard and your aircraft? Um, uh, you know. Nothing. Yeah. How <laughs> uh, there isn't. That? And that's the, that's the thing is uh, you know, anyone can fake a photo. A photo doesn't have to be up to date. I'm like having that on file. Hmm. Yeah, it gives them some idea that this aircraft uh, might follow all the rules of registration, but, you know, by no means a guarantee. It's almost like, you know, safety uh, through paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. Legislating. Yeah, yeah, do, you have, do you have to take this photo, Baz, or 
or does yeah. somebody oh, else yeah. actually take it? No, you just ask you for a photo, you take it, and that's it. So, I mean, realistically, this would be actually probably you know more you know better achieved and more authentic if somebody actually just came out. I mean, because it's not like you're actually in the bush or anything. Um, <laughs> the, bad luck you know, if, some, if somebody actually came out and looked at the airplane and went, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," you've got your plate, you've got your you know the placard, and you got the red Joe, and well, tick, this is the tick, thing. Tick, 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 there's a piece of paper off you go, sort of. Um, b- before you f- register an aircraft, any RL's aircraft, it does get inspected by someone. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be anyone that's actually employed by RLs, uh, but you know this can be a. Uh, uh, a local volunteer that has that, uh, that level of authority within Arios to inspect your home build and uh, and say yeah it, it follows the rules. Well, it's, so it's like a clearly, inspector. this this hasn't uh, this hasn't happened in the past. Yeah, no, that's like a designated inspector for when you get your um, flight exam and things like that. You know, someone delegated with authority to go and check it and give it a stamp. Yeah, um, and though in this case there was nothing wrong with most of the aircraft, other than some paperwork not being completely up to date. Uh, but you know, you're arbitrarily grounded. So CASA are just saying, hey, this was this was supposed to have been done ages ago, and um, uh, RAOs are dragging their feet because they've got so much to do and not a lot of people in time to do it with. And oh well, too late. Bang, close the door. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I gotta I gotta wonder how many VH registered aircraft that were registered in the 80s aren't up to date with all the current registration requirements. If you try to re-register a plane, oh. I don't think they're grounding those and say, hey, get back to us with this extra paperwork. Well, it's part of the contract between CASA and RAOs to run it that they've got to be able to prove that. It's, I imagine, quite similar to what goes on with the ABF and what's required of the hoops we've got to run through there in the Ballooning Federation to interact yep. with CASA. And, you know, maybe one day they'll introduce it for VH-registered aircraft, um, you know, pay your fee, verify it, submit your paperwork. And it's a great way of knowing how many um, VH-registered aircraft are still active other than the um, Pitre, um surveys that they send out every year i know we, yeah, get, exactly. we get them every year uh for all our fleet how many hours is it still a valid all that kind of stuff that's the only way they know and and of course one of the problems is that uh reos that the members are paying for all of this themselves reos is a completely self-funded organization so yeah. member funded we don't get any money from anyone else no money from casa really so on, oh no no so on the, the i think in the past they've had some grants but they were always for like very specific things a few thousand dollars Training here and there so but on, yeah. um yeah it's purely registration pilots registrations and uh the every every year the membership and uh, aircraft registrations every year so they're now managing three and a half thousand aircraft and over ten thousand pilots on a budget of about two million dollars a year and you'd say that yeah you can automate that uh, most of that and it's not that hard to keep track of all this stuff but the problem is with any business it's not in the the normal way things operate it's the exceptions it's the it's the people that you know call all the time because they're trying to use a tech manager as their uh, personal build assist or it is people suing Ariels. you know there currently is a big case that's hinted to by Ariels that they're not giving too many details out but basically uh, through the grapevine it, it turns out that there's uh, the widow of a passenger although the passenger was a pilot himself an Ariels pilot himself but in this case he was a passenger um, is suing Ariels and wants damages right. so you know th- those are the things you have to deal with and then if you look at how big the budget is, it's it's not a lot. So that leads me to this question, um, and, and a lot of people have expressed this view to me that perhaps there's a bit of a bit of a political aspect to this, Baz, where perhaps somebody at CASA, or perhaps there's been a, a determination by CASA, given that as you say this sector is growing, that perhaps they want to bring it more under their wing. Now I don't know how much truth there is to that. 
But one of my questions is perhaps is that something that, that you know, given it's becoming such a major part of the aviation sector here and given that RAOS's budget is so limited, um, you know, maybe should it be brought under CASA's uh, wing a bit more directly? Possibly. Um one thing that definitely has to be changed, in my opinion, is, is Orioles itself. Uh, it's not a small club anymore, as we just discussed. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to manage as a club structure. Uh, you know, th- th- there's 13 board members. Uh, board members have to be, according to our constitution, have to be elected per state. But there's not actually that many people who put their hands up. So a lot of the board positions every year go unopposed and people just get either in for the first time unopposed or people just get re-elected unopposed. And that's a a big problem. It's a big board. It's hard to get together. Uh, The the constitution also requires the board to actually do a lot of work where, you know, in in a lot of companies, you know, the board is, uh, is there to provide strategic guidance, they might have some specialties and, and help think about things. But at the end of the day, it's staff that does most of the work. And here, the board is required to do a lot more than they probably are physically able to do. So with these issues that have been going on, there's clearly already been some changes. For instance, uh, the CEO has resigned. He, in a way, is also hamstrung by a board that, you know, with again, with no finger pointing at anyone because like I say, it's an institutional problem. But uh, if the board takes a very long time to decide on certain things, he's uh, hamstrung as well. If, if he uh, can't spend money that he feels he needs to spend because not because it's not there or not because it's never going to be approved. If, when things take a long time, it's very hard. And I know most of the staff works very hard and including the, the CEO. And, uh, you know, I've been in the office a few times there uh, to do some work for them. A lot of board members also work very hard. Some others, maybe not so. Um, they make a lot of promises and then don't follow up on them, which, you know, frustrates uh, other board members, frustrates staff, uh, frustrates members. So that, that's a thing that needs to change. And I think there's a there's a good future for an organization like Arios to actually run light sport aircraft uh, or ultralights, you know, as we call them here, in uh, Australia. And I'd rather see that than actually CASA taking it over. But that's only going to happen if you know, something cha- changes. And I think, you know, the, the poo has hit the fan and um, I think some things are going to change. That, that's what you hear from many people. You hear it from staff, you hear it from board members, uh, you hear it from just ordinary members. There's going to be uh, a special general meeting in February uh, where some of these issues will be addressed and uh, hopefully it will be well attended. I'm certainly going to try and make it. And we've got to find a way forward uh, to not let this kind of thing happen again. And, and like I said, uh, a lot of it, I think, has to do with a uh, limited budget as well. Uh, there was one tech manager for a very long time. I've now got an assistant. And that's very hard if, you, if you're on your own having to do all these registrations. Oh, yeah. You got help from the admin staff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're responsible. And this probably is too much work for one person. And uh, again, that comes back comes down to budgets. Well, so do we need to have a, uh, you know, perhaps a determination from everybody who's involved with RAOs to maybe, uh, you know, embrace a bit of a, an increase in, in fees, in, increase in registration fees and all that sort of stuff, as much as everybody's uh, very conscious of the cost of living at the moment. But, uh, you know, if they need more money, is this something they need to consider? Well, personally, I would be in favor of actually seeing some money come from CASA. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, they do a lot of work. I know they've got cost recovery and some of their fees are very high, but it costs nowhere near near to their actual cost of, of keeping these aircraft registers up to date and, and having uh, people uh, 
deal with questions and inquiries from uh, the public or for, from from the pilots and from the aircraft owners. Um, so if my tax dollars are paying for people who have their VH reg- aircraft registered, why can't it also some of that go towards uh, RALs? I was actually going to say a similar thing. Is is it sounds like really? I mean, RALs is is doing a a big slab of work for CASA, which they've effectively just farmed out to RALs to uh, to let them self regulate. So it's should uh, be a thing that you know CASA or and or the government actually contributes to say, well, you know, look, you guys are providing a service, looking at a, re- a reverse user feedback on CASA, if you will. Yeah, well, I think that's that's totally fair to do it that way, and hopefully that that will uh, that will happen. But uh, one of the things I think that that first needs to be done is trying to somehow reshape RELs into an organization that's better for the size that it has become, uh, which probably means change to the constitution. Uh, personally, I would like to see a much more professional board, probably smaller, not limited by geographic regions. So we can actually, uh, you know, just because I live in South Australia, uh, if there's a great candidate from Queensland, I can vote for them. Uh, and that way have a smaller, better board and hopefully also in the office, the staff and the people that have been chosen for various positions get some uh, more appropriate people there as well. Well, maybe uh, if you're going to have a restructure like that, maybe they need to consider having some sort of um, delegate from CASA sitting on that board, perhaps someone that's appointed by someone who's familiar with the processes that need to happen from their side of the fence and from uh, from RAOs so that we can make sure that a situation like we have now doesn't happen again. That's possibly not a bad idea at all uh, because right now uh, things don't start happening until actually someone from the CASA uh, comes around and does an audit like any other AOC mm. holder and finds problems. Uh, if you've like, got someone permanently there who is not actually, uh, you know, as a, the CASA as a job to be an inspector but more in a, a guiding role, uh, that would could be, uh, could be very useful. An oversight, an auditing kind of role. The, the worst case scenario is CASA does step back in. They don't have enough people. They're underfunded. They've got cost recovery. Their costs are high. Uh, that If they took an active role trying to manage the uh, light sport environment here in Australia, the RAOs, I think that would be a major step backwards. RAOs is booming mostly because of the lack of, like there's fees, but they're nowhere near what they are for GA. And you've got a, a much more, a lot, lot more freedom and a, and a much better environment to operate in for, for the recreational part of the world. And uh, yeah, I think Steve's suggestion of, of CASA actually putting someone in, not necessarily someone who's actively involved in the inspections and audits and things like that, but who can give guidance, represent CASA and uh, give the overviews and then it liaise with CASA and the people like uh, your Lee Ungermans and so on who are actually more hands-on with uh, RAOs, then you know, that can work pretty well. I mean, having having chatted with Lee and um, Mick Poole about the, the whole sport aviation, it's not just RAOs. They're also looking after the balloonists, the parachutists, um, lots of other groups. I think the warbirds and everyone. The hang gliders. Yeah, they've only got about six people in that whole division looking after everyone. So uh, they're, they're stretched pretty thin at the moment at the best of times. Although so. you can say that, but you know, six people to really only look after, you know, inspect, make sure these all these organizations are, are running, being run properly. But uh, if you look at how much staff there is in the Ariel's office, uh, it's not much more. Yeah. And they're doing the actual work. Yeah, but if they're going to actually, uh, if this concept of, of putting someone from CASA in the board 
to do um, a supplemental kind of role, CASA is going to have to fund some more there anyhow. So that it's not quite like CASA injecting money into RAOs, but it's definitely stepping forward and poning up a little bit more to make things happen. Oh, yeah. It, it would be great if there was some sort of uh, matched funds uh, arrangement where uh, all these organizations for every dollar they uh, make themselves on their membership fees is actually matched in some way by CASA to, uh, to prop it up. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. Um, I know, it would be amazing. But if, if Kessa wants these organizations to be run professionally uh, and you know safely, then uh, I think they're going to have to pony up. Well, don't forget, Kessa does have one option in there. What's that? It's all too hard. Dumped a lot of it. It's up to you guys. Figure it out. Come back to GA. It's all your problem. Yeah, but That's come back to GA thing. means a, a whole lot of aircraft that are all of a sudden going to be re-registered. Yeah. A whole lot of pilots going to be licensed with them. Guys. Join I don't the th- queue, guys. I don't think they want an extra 3,000 aircraft on their uh, their list. Oh, well, it depends. They may not fit on the list. They may be all experimental and have to go into some other thing and just find, you know, remember what it was like. You've heard the stories of what it was like 10, 20 years ago before all this came through and, you know, you could be winding up going, you know, back to the future. Yeah. And, you know, that was what I was saying before. No one wants that. No. With all this self, they went around down the self-regulation path. However, I don't think there's any credit given to, like, you know, the ballooning world and the gliding world was only ever going to get, it was only ever going to sort of replicate what it already was. Um, whereas RA has, has grown pretty much exponentially. And there's, there's a, I mean, there's there's 150s on, on RA. Only um, just. Red, yeah, but. That's what I'm saying. But there's, there's actually airplanes migrating off VH onto RA. Um, now, if everything that was on RA was actually VH registered, um, you know, Kessler would have a hell of a lot more work to do. And I don't think there's any, there needs to be more, there needs to be a system of saying, okay, well, you have 3,000 airplanes, so that gets you X amount of funding. You know, it's, it's certainly a saga that's uh, going to, to go on for a while. I mean, we, we had heard numbers of uh, perhaps somewhere up to 1,000 aircraft being granted, although, to be honest, that, that does sound like a lot. I've, I've got no way of verifying that. There's also a lot of other um, groups that are sort of sitting on similar sort of arrangements to RAOs, uh, you know, who'll be looking at this with interest. Uh, I note that there was an article going around in the uh, the aviation media uh, over the last week or two that perhaps the Australian Warbirds Association was about to get caught up in a similar situation, although uh, they, they have refuted that quite strenuously. So I think it's important to note that, but uh, I think this is going to give us uh, a lot to talk about, uh, certainly in uh, 2013. But uh, let's let's move on now, guys. Uh, while we're over in South Australia, Baz, um, one of the issues that's uh, really been quite big over there within the aviation community surrounds uh, Aldinga Aerodrome. Now, um, you operate, I think, in and out of there quite often, and there was some talk that it was under threat, uh, perhaps from local residents, perhaps from the council, uh, and then there's been other talk that perhaps that's not the case. What what, what actually is happening at Aldinga? All right, Aldinga, of course, is a beautiful little airfield south of Adelaide. It's... Uh in the McLarenville region, wine region, it's uh, it's uh, surrounded by the hills. It's a sea on one side, hills on the other side. It's an absolutely stunning scenery. And years ago, a couple moved here from the UK. She was a local and he was a uh, BA captain who's had enough of uh, flying uh, the big jets. And they took over the aerodrome and they turned it into uh, probably one of the nicest airfields in Australia. It's got a really nice cafe. It's got a school, an aerial school, a GA school, and basically took it from a, a backwater into a very uh, busy uh, local airfield. And they've got everything from their own sports. So 
stars that they do training in uh, to uh, a company that operates a PC-12 and a caravan out of there and uh, flying people up to the mines and and, and the other charter work. Um, so it's absolutely great success story. And you know, with great success stories about airfields, uh, you get the NIMBYs. Yes. Uh, so it, it's interesting because there has been a lot of support from the council. They've had grants and uh, for building that airfield, and, and they've always been very positive. Now that's, uh, so that's the, very the council imp- never really was the problem. That's very important to note, Baz, because um, a lot of the uh, commentary that I've seen around this issue, uh, and it's a little hard to keep track of, of course, over here in Melbourne. But the council seems to be copying a whack for this. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't think I think that's completely undeserved uh, because what happened is, uh, of course, there've been limits based on the airfield uh, there have been curfews uh, we've had circuit directions change to stay away from houses and that's all fine but then the, these NIMBYs found some paperwork from many years ago that limited this, the scope of in which the flying school or a flying school that was that was mentioned in these documents could operate at the airfield and also how the any maintenance company could operate at the airfield and for instance one of the issues there was uh, that they could only uh, work on domiciled aircraft there they couldn't uh, people couldn't go there for their maintenance so this document was dug up and the council you know but this was brought to the council and the council basically legally had no choice but to take this seriously and, and investigate this. Uh, and that's where they get a lot of flag because people say, oh, the council is is trying to shut this down based on this. And that's not the case. There were some, there were some individual councillors you know, who were in, in favour of that, but the majority I don't think ever was. And um, the nice thing about these, these zoning documents, first of all, if anything can be rezoned. And secondly, these documents uh, were found by the legal teams to actually not be relevant anymore. So I'm not really sure why they weren't relevant anymore or if they ever were really relevant. But the, at the end of the day, the council said, uh, sorry, NIMBYs, but these, uh, you haven't got a claim here. And uh, the aircraft, airfield can, and the school and the maintenance organizations can operate as is. Well, so all in all, it's been a good result, a, yeah. a rather passionate uh, fight that's gone on there, but uh, a very, very positive result. I, I notice on a map here, I'm looking at a map here of the Adelaide area. I mean, it's it's really in a good location, isn't it? You've got between that and Parafield at the, you know, up the other end of uh, of the city, you've, you've sort of got it covered. You, you know, it wouldn't make any sense from my point of view to get rid no, of that No, it's airfield. not. And, and it's, it's an incredibly picturesque airfield. I mean, if you ever in flying in the Adelaide area, uh, coming over to South Australia, absolutely do drop in there because it's, uh, like I said, it's one of the best airfields you'll probably find. Um, and yeah, it's a great location because the majority of the traffic there is RAOs, even though there is a, a fair bit of GA aircraft in the GA school. But that is the the RAOs aircraft in uncontrolled airspace at the south end of, of Adelaide. Of course, you said mentioned Parafield. Parafield is purely GA because it's a Class D. Uh, then north of Adelaide, you've got Gawler, where I'm, I'm based and where I fly from in uncontrolled airspace and you can go to the east uh, Murrah Bridge so that's uh, that's trio of, of uncontrolled airspace uh, aerodromes um, you know we need them here <laughs> so it's it's great to see that uh, the, the council uh, made sure that uh, 
it could stay and, and operate there. Well, I think we'll chalk that one up as a win, Bez, and it's great to see that Aldinga will uh, continue operations into the future. I, uh, I think this also means we'll have to keep a bit of a uh, close eye on those NIMBYs, though, and uh, make sure they don't persist in their efforts to uh, spoil aviation for everybody else in that part of the country. Uh, there's been far too much of that going on over recent years, and we wouldn't like to see it happen out there. I uh, also wanted to give a quick word of thanks to our friend David Hales from 5DME.net. Uh, he's been keeping everybody up to date with this issue throughout the year, uh, both via email and uh, via the uh, Save LD aerodrome page there on Facebook. He's been very active there and uh, he's done a fantastic job. If you haven't checked out the 5DME's outstanding work, I highly recommend you do. They do your wonderful work uh, promoting aviation over there in South Australia. They really do a fantastic job. 5DME.net well, Lots more to come in this episode, our final show for 2012, including some positive career news for ATC Ben, our end of year wrap up, and of course the infrequent flyer Anthony Simmons. Um, well, he's got a confession to make, so uh, we've got to play that as well. But uh, stick around folks, after the break we head out to Turidan and uh, catch up with some of the personalities from our recent aviation open day. Back after this. Always wanted to be a Top Gun? Looking for the ultimate heart-pumping experience? JetRide gives you that and more. With your personally tailored flight and individual gift pack, JetRide will make your dreams come true. At up to 900 k's an hour in a Soviet-era L-39, this is the jet fighter thrill of a lifetime. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1-300-554-876. Nothing is impossible. Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full-featured moving map GPS complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways is Australia's most feature-packed, cost-effective and easy-to-use electronic flight bag complete with AIP, URSA, DAP East and West, flight planning and much more. You can even submit your flight plan direct into NAPES. With annual subscriptions starting at only $74.99, it's the perfect flying companion whether you rent or own your own aircraft. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Runways, know where you're going. Hi, it's Peter from up here to down there. It's been an extremely busy year here on uh, Plane Crazy Down Under and of course at the Airplane Geeks and with the launch of Aviation Extended. But I'm coming back home soon to the world of Aviation Down Under with some more views and interviews from up here. So I'd like to wish you all a very peaceful holiday and blue skies for 2013. Okay, well, a beautiful day here at uh, Tudor Airfield and, uh, well, a lot of people are going up in aeroplanes and uh, some people are jumping out of them and uh, floating back down to the ground. From, uh, they're doing that with commando skydivers. Now, I don't know that I'm brave enough to jump out of an aircraft, Grant, but uh, two people that are are uh, Brian and Rick from uh, Commando Skydivers. Welcome, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Now, tell us a bit about uh, Commando Skydivers. How long have you been running? Uh, the club itself has been going for about 51 years. Uh, we've been here at Turidan for about seven years. And uh, yeah, today we're having our Christmas party, which means that we're going all out with a big turbine caravan, which means more jumpers for us. Um, usually we run a GA turbo air van, um, which is an excellent plane, but today we want to do some bigger stuff, some bigger formations. So uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, that turbine's good for getting to altitude nice and quickly. That's it. And you don't have to worry about shock cooling. You can come back down nice and quick too. That's right. Yeah. 
No, it, uh, jumping out of an airplane is definitely on my, the to-do list once I lose another 20 kilos or so. I, I think I'll be able to do a tandem, I think. You've you got a weight limit, don't you? There is. Uh, it's 95 kilos. Oh, okay. 25 kilos then. Oh, yet another excuse for me not to go. <laughs> you big wuss. <laughs> you guys, before you here at Turidum, were at Pakenham or something, weren't you? Is that right? Yeah, we were. We were at Pakenham, but then they built a freeway through our drop zone. That was very inconvenient of them. So, well, you know, progress is progress, I guess. Yeah, that's what they tell us. Yeah. So how about the two of you? How long have you guys been individually doing your skydiving? I've been jumping since uh, 2004. Rick? I've been jumping since uh, 97. I uh, did a couple of courses and between jobs, so I couldn't really keep continuing. Um, but then I started getting back into it in 2005, and uh, now I've been going crazy and having fun. Excellent. How many jumps you guys got? Uh, I'm 272 now. I've got about 1,200 jumps. Are you doing uh, tandem instructor taking people for jumps? Or? I, I am an instructor, but I don't do tandem stuff. Okay. Um, I take people who want to do their first solo jump. We have uh, a couple of different ways to get into skydiving. Um, there's obviously the tandem where you, you, know, you get clipped onto the front of an instructor and it's a very quick brief and off you go. You don't really need to worry about too much. But you can actually do the course um, and learn on a Saturday. They teach you all about what you need to do in free fall and uh, emergency procedures, flying your canopy. And uh, we've got the AF course. That's where you go up to uh, the high altitude of 12,000 feet and you jump out with two instructors holding on to you. Is that accelerated free fall? Yep. Okay. That's what I do. Um, I'm one of those instructors. And the other method you can do is static line where it's a bit like the military where you jump out and you've got a, a static line attached to your parachute and it opens straight away. And that's like a hop and pop. That's it. Good terminology. I, I listen to Skydive Radio. Okay. I cheat. Yep. <laughs> so tell us about the process of um, somebody who comes in off the street and they, they say, I want to do it, I want to learn to skydive. What, what's the process to, to bring them up to a standard? The process would be uh, if they want to do it by themselves, uh, they would come in, do a course on the Saturday. That covers everything from um, you know, boarding the aircraft, what you need to do in free fall, what position you need. We do drills on the ground um, about pulling rip cords and signals in free fall and under canopy um, flying down safely and all that kind of stuff. If you just want to do a tandem, you can just turn up and the, the instructor will tell you a couple of basic things, how you need to be sitting when you exit the aircraft, what kind of position you need to be in free fall and your legs up for landing. That's basically about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that I'd, I'd like to start with a tandem just to at least go, all right, that's the ground, here I go. And, and do that and before I was actually like doing the AFF and having to actually remember to uh, pull the cord even with the instructors nearby it's, it's still I'd like to see what it's like first it's, it's a good way to get a taste but if you do your first jump solo it goes towards actually getting a license so if you really like it you can keep on yeah. progressing with it cool and uh, what kind of licensing do you have here you're, you're the um, Australian Parachute Federation APF yeah yeah that's right we, we're all registered on the Australian Parachute Federation we all have to take out a membership each year, which yep. is basically like an insurance. So what, what kind of costing are we looking at to go through AFF and get to the point where you can now go out and jump with a bunch of equally crazy people and have fun without worrying about instructors? To get through your course and buy your first parachute, which would be a second-hand one, you want to put aside about $5,000. After that, the jumps actually become quite cheap you can go up to altitude for $40. Yeah, and that'll take you up in the air van to, what, 12000 Yeah, that's right. Okay, and the higher you go, the more it costs? Yes, that's right. One of our team members from up in Queensland uh, has got some experience being a jump pilot. 
and uh, tells us a story once about a, uh, I think it was a Japanese or a Chinese tourist that uh, paid all the money to get up there and then wouldn't come out of the aircraft. Do you come across that very often down here? Do you get people that, you know, come for the adventure but uh, can't get over the hump of jumping out? I, I can imagine that would be the hardest thing to get over, actually. I've only seen it once. I do a lot of tandem uh, video as well. Um, but I've only seen it once. Most of the instructors can, uh, can tell when people are nervous and they, they can get people in the right headspace to do a jump. We make sure the training is you know, thorough so that people know what they're doing and feel comfortable with jumping out of a plane if that can make sense. There's also a saying that no does actually sound like go when you're up in the plane. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, go, go, go. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> So do you find that, that getting out the door, that would be that? I mean, once you're committed, you're committed, aren't you? I mean, you, you're in for the fall on that Pretty it. much, yeah. yeah. Like, once you're, um, you're in the door, um, as I said, no sounds like go, and you really don't want to turn back. And once you go out, people do get that fear. But once you're stable and you're falling, you see the smile come across their face on the camera, and, yeah, they really, really love it. It's yeah. good. Always get to the ground, always happy. Cool. So, Rick, have you done uh, much jumping in terms of with others for camera shoots and things like that? No, not, not at the moment. Um, I've sort of had a bit of a delay. Uh, I had a motorbike accident this year, which sort of stopped me for a little while. Uh, but in the last, say, two and a half months, I've pushed out about nearly 60 jumps. So really getting into it now and having a bit of fun and learning to fly again and just loving yeah. it. Trying to get those positions, the arch and everything. Exactly. I've got I've got all that pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's mainly um, dealing with the formations, uh, four ways, five ways, today nine ways and things like that. Um, it's it's not easy to do, but, you know, it all comes with practice. So are you going to progress to sit, fly and things like that? Eventually, yeah. Um, that's certainly what I want to do. And um, free fly, upside down, head down. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I've done it a couple of times with some friends accidentally. But, um, <laughs> no, it, it's all good, though, you know. Yeah. Hey, I, I know some people like to do a bit of tunnel time for practicing their uh, their free fall positioning and things like that. Are there any tunnels in Australia? I think there's one just open uh, in Sydney at the moment. It's it's actually uh, in the pipeworks. They want to build one in Penrith, and they're now going through the stage of getting a bit more finance from uh, investors. But it looks like it will happen, and they're saying the end of 2013. That's those uh, ex-army SAS guys, I think, are doing that, aren't they? That's yeah. correct, yeah. yeah. I heard them on the radio the other day. Yeah, because yeah. that's... That's that's great because that's like they, I hear the stories about you know four year olds six year olds getting in there and you got these kids who aren't allowed to jump out of a plane but they know how to free fall mm. in a contain in a confined space yeah that's right yeah which is quite different from real free fall where you can go anywhere <laughs> yeah it's an excellent training tool um, you can go in one on one with a coach and they can give you that feedback straight away and actually correct your body position yeah. while you're in there and. Uh, there's nothing like uh, doing a bit of tunnel, but at the same time, it doesn't teach you things about the exits of the aircraft and flying the parachute and so forth. So. Yeah, that, that critical bit, because it's a big old wing above you that you're flying there. It is. Well, yeah. some of them are big. You progress uh, down to smaller parachutes as you get more experienced. Yeah, you, you're lo- was it the, your weight to area type of load factor thing? That's right, yeah. They call it a wing loading. There you go. So with the uh, with the jumping, have you guys done any uh, work with wingsuits or things like that, or is it mostly standard uh, free fall and then parachuting? Well, I've, I've started at the moment. I've got uh, six wingsuits now under my belt. Um, hopefully, be eight by the end of today. And uh, yeah, I want to get a, get a couple more. And uh, that's that's a different experience altogether. You know, like um, skydiving, you're just coming straight down with a little bit of tracking to get away. But the wingsuit, you really feel like a bird. You know, you're flying away and flying over paddocks and everything. It's it's so much fun. It's a different uh, adventure now. Yeah. It's a different uh, sort of skydiving. But um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I've seen some videos of the guys going out the back of a sky van 
and uh, if they do it right, they can actually get up and above the aircraft and then come down. Yep. So amazing. Yeah, we, we've been we've been told when we get out to keep everything closed uh, for a couple of seconds, get away from the tail, yep. and then uh, after that, spread out and uh, go from there. But exactly as you say, though, up and down. Wow, that's that's getting pretty amazing stuff. It's really the, it's kind of the forefront of where skydiving is at at the moment. A lot of people getting into the wingsuits, and it's a relatively new kind of a, an aspect of the sport. Yeah. So we're still developing a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, I've heard a few people are just doing the minimum they can do before they can get straight onto wingsuits. And yeah, that's right. Two hundred jumps, and then you can do a wingsuit. How, how's it different? How does it feel like contr- trying to control? What is it? Just arm strength and leg strength? It's or? It's, uh, it's amazing because you're wearing a suit with basically. Uh, you know, a wing in between your leg and under your arms, and they actually inflate, similar to the, the Ram Air parachute, and you're getting a glide of about three metres forward to one metre down. So really you are getting the closest thing to being a bird and, and flying. It's, it's yeah, amazing. That's and great. we get some really good freefall times, and when you're just there with your mates and, and flocking, especially down at Turidan because it's so yeah. beautiful, it's um, a really nice way to jump out of a plane. Flocking, that's a good one. Get a whole bunch of wingsuiters together. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, you certainly, you guys have a lot of fun down here and you seem to be flat out every time I come down here, so it's obviously a business that's, uh, you know, in demand and doing well. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun down here. Um, you know, and we're trying to um, get get some more jumpers down here and, and have more fun, but, you know, great days like this, it's, it's always good to jump and uh, just enjoy it. Well, you certainly seem to have a good crowd over there combining it with the Christmas party. and That's right, and we've also got jumpers from other drop zones and it's all just getting together and, you know, sharing our passion for yeah. jumping out of planes. I hear you've got a, like a portable spa going up later and Santa Claus coming down. And Yeah, we, we've got the spa, we've got karaoke, we've got slushy machines, circus <laughs> games. You yeah. guys know how to party. Lots of keg beer, very <laughs> essential slip for everybody. Slip and slide as well. <laughs> <laughs> I even saw one of your uh, jumpers over there. He looked like he was in some sort of uh, clown, clown outfit or something. Ah, yes, that'll be Stippo. <laughs> yes, no doubt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very colourful sport. Uh, yeah, it seems to be, seriously. If our listeners are interested in uh, coming and seeing what you guys do, uh, you've got a website. How would they uh, get in contact with you? It's, uh, the website is www.commandoskydivers.com.au and uh, the number should be on there if they wanted to call and make a booking. <laughs> Can you remember the phone number? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1300 956 Nicely done. There it is. Lovely. That's a good memory, Rick. Right, Rick from uh, Commando Skydivers. Uh, thanks very much for coming and spending some time with us. No worries. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, it's been a beautiful day here at Turidan, and uh, Dan O'Donnell, you've flown a few flights today. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, you've been uh, flying quite a few things in your career. Uh, what got you into aviation, mate? Well, my father. So he was a, a civilian pilot, a commercial pilot. Um, so I grew up with aviation. Um, also being born in the late 70s, the uh, Top Gun movie coming out at a very influential age, uh, <laughs> along with Memphis Bell, Battle of Britain, all those sort of movies. So it's, um, it's all I, I guess grew up knowing. Um, and so it's all I sort of ever wanted to be was to fly. So Now, Grant, of course, says you've flown a few things, but uh, let's talk about uh, who you currently fly for, just so people know <laughs> that it's not only Matt or Racing that you do a bit of work for. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, Monday to Friday is uh, for the Royal Australian Air Force. At the moment, I'm lucky enough to fly for number three squadron, uh, the F-18. Uh, I've been doing that for a few years now and, and absolutely love it. So um, that, that's the primary job um, and I guess the career and then flying whatever I can on the side to sort of uh, keep everything happy there. Had, did you already have your licence before you went to the RAF? No, so I, I guess I was pretty lucky in that um, I got to, to learn to fly with my father, but uh, he never, I guess, taught me any bad habits. So checklists, um, you know, rules, radio calls, all that sort of thing. It was just the hands and the feet. 
Um, so I guess applying to the RAF sort of in year 11 and then uh, during year 12 going and doing the flight screening for the first time uh, was the first, I guess, official instruction with flying. So, yeah. And uh, when you went into the RAF, uh, progressed up through the CT4, did you do the PC9 as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I was on uh, number 10 um, BFDS course in Tamworth there. Uh, after graduating that course, I crossed a 191 pilots course over in Pierce on the, on the PC9 with two FDS. Uh, and then was, was lucky enough to get selected after pilot's course to be part of the Wedgetail program. Um, basically, it gave me an opportunity to go overseas straight away. So here I am as a 21-year-old, um, you know, just a, a license to fly and off to America to fly with the US Air Force for three years, uh, which was just an absolutely awesome experience flying the E3 Sentry um, AWAC aircraft. So. so you went straight from the PC-9 to a four-engine 707 yeah, derived aircraft. Yeah, four-engine heavy jet, yeah. Oh, wow. So uh, it was kind of interesting because the, the guys um, in the USAF that I went and I essentially joined the co-pilot conversion with had all flown the, the T-1, which is a um, like a, a Hawker jet with uh, two engines. So uh, this whole asymmetric word that... that they were telling me about was quite new <laughs> yeah it would take a bit of shift of brain power to go from single to yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. to four of the damn things yeah. when you get so, over to the US I'm curious because I noticed I particularly find this when we've, we've spoken to the roulettes they seem to come from such a diverse range of aircraft types that they fly and it seems to me that, that RAF pilots do a lot of that chopping and changing around is that really the case with the um, with the American pilots it doesn't wouldn't seem uh, to me that it is Generally, they'll, if they do chop and change, they'll change to a very similar type. So uh, where I was in Oklahoma there, there were obviously a lot of pilots flying the E3, but they'd also flown KC-135 tankers or rivet joints or other, um, I guess, Boeing 707-based types. Yep. Um, but generally, you know, they hadn't come from a U-2 or to a fighter or anything like that. So um, generally, the I guess the US Air Force is such a big a sausage machine that uh, you, you very much go down a single path with them. Yeah. 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 So you were at Oklahoma, was that at uh, Tinker? Yeah, it was, yeah, Tinker Air Force Base. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. The uh, the, the um, personnel on base actually totaled more than the Royal Australian Air Force in total. Yeah. That was just on that one base. So. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to do a lot of flying around that part of the world, so <laughs> I know that base. I love it. I absolutely love it. The people there are some of the friendliest in the world. So Yeah, cool. Especially if you've got a cool accent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way I describe it to my friends. It's, it's almost what I can imagine being good-looking would be like <laughs> as an Aussie living in America. There you go. And where the, where the state tree is the telephone pole. You know, exactly. Yeah. So uh, after your uh, stint with the E3, you came back to uh, Australia and uh, straight on to the Hornet? No, no. So I came back to Australia again as, as part of the Wedgetail program and was lucky enough to do a uh, Boeing 737 type, in, uh, type rating. Uh, also a comment with Virgin Blue, so there were about four of us that flew in Air Force uniform with Virgin Blue, which was great, and that was an absolute hoot. Uh, again, I was, I think, 24, 25 at the time. So so you were wearing, like, Zoom bags on the... No, no, unfortunately not, but just blues. Oh, okay. um, but part of that program, again, flew with Virgin Blue, and then the Wedgetail just, it just kept delaying and delaying and delaying. So um, that's, I guess, when the hierarchy decided to send me to Perth um, to instruct for a few years on the PC-9. Uh, in which I did, and then at the end of that was when I got the opportunity to, to re-roll to fight uh, fast jets. So um, quite a long process, um, which started in 2008 and graduated uh, the Hornet course there in early 2010. That I've got to say, you're the first person I've heard who's uh, re-rolled to a Hornet. Yep. Uh, is that common, that people will go to um, the Hornet? It, it, it goes through phases. Uh, at the moment, there's not too many re-rolls. Um, when I did it, there was probably one per course, and it was seen as a little bit of a, a mentoring uh, role as well. Um, it, it just depends on the interest and obviously the requirement as well as to whether or not they're going to allow you to do that. Um, I was somewhat lucky in that I didn't really have another type to go back to. 
uh, whereas a lot of guys that would like to give it a crack, you know, they're, they're too valuable to the Hercules or to the Orion or whatever it is, and they just unfortunately never get the shot to do it. So uh, how long have you been with the Hornet? Uh, so coming on uh, two and a half years now, just yeah. on the Hornet. Uh, been at three squadron the whole time, which has been yeah absolutely fantastic. What kind of roles are you doing with three squadron? Uh, we, we do all sorts of roles. So we've just come back from a, a bombing training exercise in Northern Territory. Um, at the moment, at the end of the year, that we're working uh, with a dog fighting and manoeuvring phase. So um, yeah, life's pretty good at the moment. <laughs> cool. Well, it must be pretty good because on the weekends you get to come down and fly Matt Hall's extra. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So like I said, I, I would jump in a Cessna 152 or an extra or whatever I could. Um, yesterday I actually got in a, a carbon cup for the first time. And again, it's just it just brings whole new giggles. You know, take, it's it's a job where you never need to grow up. It's I fantastic. think the carbon cob takes often less distance than the uh, Hornet wingspan. A- exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, Grant was uh, you took Grant up today in the extra, and uh, you know, probably the same as my uh, Hercules flight the other day. Came down looking a little green, so uh, <laughs> he's kicking himself about that. I don't think he should really. Do you? I keep telling him that was actually because of my flying, not because of what we actually did. But um, I flew for half the time. Hang on, wait a minute. You did, you did. You flew a very nice, what was it, aileron roll loop, Cuban 8. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he didn't pull as much stairs as I'd hoped, but yeah. it was still a good experience, and hopefully he walked away from it smiling. Oh, a different smile, but definitely not as much cheers as I wanted. I, I was looking forward to pulling 8Gs again. It's been two years and hanging out for it. And so, uh, so what happened? My stomach was not my <laughs> friend. It... Uh, it decided that no, you know, you've, you've put on 20 kilos since last time, you're getting a couple of years older and you need to do some training, boy. Uh, I think next time, I just ran out of time to go up and find someone to do some gentle aerobatics first yep. just to get my G tolerance back up. But uh, yeah, I wussed, I wussed. I called knock it off, I hopped on, did some flying. Uh, I found it a lot of fun when I had my hands on. Uh, doing the half Cuban was great. Yep. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It's beautiful aircraft, very 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 uh, twitchy um, a lot of fun very responsive uh, I believe the phrase used was just think where you want to go and it goes yeah absolutely yeah. Um, the way Matt keeps the aeroplane as well obviously it, it's maintained to the highest level and it just it it's really does sing to you yeah no, it was a privilege to be able to go up and have a go of it one of the best birthday presents I've had in a while <laughs> fantastic yeah now we're sitting here with uh, Angie Marino from uh, Oz Air Services and uh, Angie you've also been up in the uh, in the aircraft today I have I was lucky enough to go up today now, uh, your grin's just about as wide as Grant's was, even though he was uh, pretty green when he came down, but how uh, was your G-tolerance up there? My G-tolerance was pretty good, actually. I was, um, I was surprised. I did not feel ill at all, which is pretty awesome, I guess. Well, it is awesome. Yeah. That's that girl power, yeah. you know? <laughs> and Dan, I suppose that's because of your flying again. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I this think... One's, this one's a G-monkey, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept, you know, I was pulling the wings off the thing and she's like, oh, okay, yep, yep, yep. Like, oh, I don't have much more else to show you. <laughs> yeah, I saw you doing a, you do a few passes over the field here at Turretin and uh, you look like you were throwing it around a bit. Uh, yeah. And I must say, Angie, your grandmother was here on the ground uh, having a coronary, I think. She was uh, looking a little worried, I think. Yeah, I actually said to Dan and we were coming into land, I hope she's still standing because uh, <laughs> she did have to go inside. I don't think she handled it very well no, watching. No, she was looking very worried. But uh, as you know, you walked away from it. So, uh, yeah. you know, a successful yeah, it was, mission. It was a great experience. We, um, we actually did a move and I have no idea what happened or what it was. We were upside down and then right way up and then 
back to front and I don't know what <laughs> do you call down, that one? Out, so <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's got a tumble. So basically, think of, think about being in a, a washing machine and that's oh, yeah, basically that's what's exactly happening. what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. So the airplane's going one way but pointing an entirely different <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, that's maneuver. exactly what it felt like. No, oh, unbelievable. Now, Angie, you've been doing some other really interesting things this year, just sidetracking away from flying. Um, they say climb every mountain. I, I think you've been climbing a few mountains. Is that right? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania in Africa this year. How awesome. And it was an incredible experience. Probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But uh, well worth it. All, all six minutes of um, the, the top of the mountains. Only Summit. six minutes? Yep. Why Only so six short? Minutes. It's freezing cold and you're <laughs> exhausted and annoyed and you just want to kill everybody. But, um, <laughs> oh, hang on, I thought that was normal. <laughs> Remind me never to climb a mountain with you in that case. <laughs> before we, um, before the, the summit climb, the tour guide said, look, I know you're going to call me every name under the sun, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to be your friend. And he was right. <laughs> he was definitely right. <laughs> So, what inspired you to do that? How did you... I'm curious. I know there's a lot to do with flying, but it fascinates me. Um, actually, a friend and I were out one night. We were drinking at a bar and we are talking about travelling. And as all great, you know, ideas come about when you're sort of half drunk, we thought, oh, you know, I haven't been to Africa and neither had he. And he said, oh, do you want to go to Africa and, and climb a mountain? I thought, yeah, may as well. I mean, we're in Africa. So, um, so we decided to book in the climb and then we um, made the schedule of Africa all around the climb. But instead of just going up and climbing for ourselves, we decided to raise money for a school in Tanzania. So between us, we ended up raising $4,500 for a primary school, which was wanting to expand to a, a secondary school. So we went out after the climb, we got to see the school and meet the kids. And yeah, it was an incredible experience. It was Fantastic. just unbelievable. Outstanding. Yeah, and it just made it, you know, so much easier when I thought, okay, I just, I don't think I can climb anymore just to think, well, you know, these kids don't have opportunities to go to school, like, as if I'm whinging, you know, I've got this incredible experience and opportunity, you know, and just kept us going, which is unbelievable. See, that's why she was able to just be a G-monkey like that, you know. She, she's <laughs> yeah, driven. after she's Kilimanjaro, hardcore. everything's, you know, walk in the park. <laughs> oh, oh, was that the sound of a gauntlet? Next, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think you need to take her up again, man. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's outstanding. So um, now uh, here at Aussie Air Services, we, we like to plug you guys because we know you always do a great job and are always out there promoting uh, aviation and trying to get more people, particularly young people, interested in it. Pursuant to that, I guess you've got an arrangement happening now with the Royal Vic Aero Club where you're trying to get a bit of GA flying down here. How's that all, uh, how's that going? Indeed. Um, we've had a lot of interest, so we're acting as a satellite school for Royal Vic, and um, you can take your flying from uh, recreational all the way through to GA, which is great for students because they can sort of stay at the same um, facility and just go through seamlessly. Um, we've had, like I said, we've had a lot of interest, so we're just, you know, trying to get it going and trying to get more people to come along and, and join us and join us for the, the ride, I suppose. Yeah, I, I've often said that, you know, down here at uh, Turidan, it's a bit of a, uh, almost a wasted resource in terms of flight training. There could be so many people that are flying at Moorabbin and paying all those huge dollars to, to fly at those schools. And nothing against those schools, but it is an expensive place to fly where they could come down here and, uh, you know, they're right in the training area straight away. You're on the runway and up and... Uh, you know, and it's a little uh, less expensive to come down here and do it. So we, we should encourage people to uh, certainly consider it. Yeah, absolutely. And Turin's got such a great scenery when you go up. It's, you know, changing all the time, depending on what time of day or what time of year. And it's a really exciting airfield. We've got so many other businesses. We've got Adventure Wings here. We've got who are flying the Nanchang. We've got the skydivers, the restaurant. So there's 
plenty to do as opposed to just you know learning to fly. There's always something else to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. great place, great, and it looks so good from the air as well. You know, on the bay side and. You've got the island and, yeah, take off and you're almost pretty much right away able to do aerobatics. It's great, especially with the climb rate of an extra. <laughs> so, Dan, uh, now we, we push pretty hard with Matt to, uh, to get flights and I noticed you've been up doing a few flights today and a few tomorrow. So, um, you know, there's pretty tight economic times, but you're finding with the business up there that you're still getting a lot of people coming along and wanting to do the adventure flights? Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, Matt's, Matt's putting out a really great product. He's got a couple of guys flying for him, um, similar backgrounds to myself and it's just something that's just taking it to that next level I guess in terms of adventure flights so um, the model is put together there works really well and pushes people to their limits generally not beyond them you know we don't like to make people sick that's not the aim of things but um, you know being close to Sydney there in the Hunter Valley as well we're getting quite a few people up and it's great to just share that experience. It seems to me like Matt is using the Royal Australian Air Force as a recruiting ground for his business. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The uh, I've uh, one thing also it wasn't just my first time in an extra 300L it was also my first time using those EQ1 wireless headsets and absolutely they're yeah. pretty cool it, to be honest today was my first time as well and they are really really cool yeah. um, you know, I just bought a new Lightspeed 2 and uh, I don't think I'm going to use it again the Zulu 2 it's you know why, why have a cord there if you don't need it and um, the sound that they blocked out as well it's just fantastic yeah they've got good noise reduction um, they fit really well they felt comfy How, how'd you find them Ange? yeah I, I really like them um, I pressed the button and I thought to turn it on I thought oh it just feels weird without the cord but um, it's so much it's so much easier to use and it's just yeah. a lot better I guess yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's no not in the way. squelch or feedback issues at all either it was fantastic a couple of little beeps every now and again but on the whole it was great and it was absolutely uh, you know, turned on and said, uh, you know, passenger headset, 21 yeah. hours usable. And then, oh, synchronising with the aircraft. It's like, whoa. And at that point, I could then hear you. Yeah, well, yeah. it was – and I, I threw them on the charge last night. And to to have an in, an internal battery in a headset that lasts that long, it's just amazing. And it's that light. You just yeah. – you don't even notice it. I mean, not just because you're pulling 4Gs, 5Gs, or however many <laughs> Angie pulled. Uh, seven. I think it was seven. Oh, there's a bit of envy there. Oh, Only double you, Grant. <laughs> I think that's down. G envy, isn't it, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah so, so you didn't you know it's not just because you're pulling G and, and everything you've already got your heavy head like I've got this big ego I'm lugging around but you know it was, uh, it was very light it was great and very impressed with that headset I've been looking forward to trying them for a while Yeah. so definitely. yeah definite recommendation so Ange when you get your license you're going to get a pair of EQ1s of course it's, that's on the top of my list <laughs> After what? The Getting car? my license. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to get your aerobatics rating now, I think. <laughs> yeah, you'll be, you'll be representing Australia soon enough. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, we've had a wonderful day here at, uh, at the, uh, the... It's becoming an, an annual event, isn't it? We had a good time last year and yep. uh, Sarah Gardner's been here today building out some, uh, some wonderful tunes. Yes. Yep. She's done a magnificent job, so I think we should do this all again next year. We've been blessed with beautiful weather as well. The um, the forecast wasn't looking that great, but it's just been spectacular. Yeah, the forecast was looking horrific uh, with thunderstorms and rain until midday and things. And by 10 o'clock, the rain was gone. The yep. blue skies were out. Yep. And I know when we were up uh, just after 11, 12, between 11 midday, you could see a bank of cloud coming in, but it's never really, it's just burnt off once it's it got It's the tourism bubble, I tell you. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I mean, a bit too windy for us to do anything with a balloon here, but, you know, it's pretty cool. Well, uh, Dan, we want to thank you for uh, coming down and giving us all the thrill today and taking Grant for that ride and taking Angie for the ride. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we know that uh, Matt was taking a bit of a risk by sending the aircraft down here, but we really do appreciate you coming down and supporting the event today. Excellent, and, and thanks, guys, for hosting it as well. Much no appreciated. Worries. And, Angie, thank you for uh, putting up with us once again. Yeah, of course. It's it's hard work, but someone has to do it, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, 
it's great that Ange is willing to be the linchpin and help make all this happen and coordinate with the wings and fins and the commando and the adventure flight and everyone. It's uh, Adventure Wings. It's, it's great. So thanks very much for all the hard work. No worries at all. All right. Let's do this all again next year. Okay. Great. I've mentioned in several recent views of my appreciation and love of aviation in media and of a particular fondness for Dr. Strangelove. Whilst the plane is only featured for about a quarter of the movie, the references to planes are absolutely classic. I recommend you search on a popular website devoted to video clips for the part where George C. Scott imitates a B-52. The quote you should enter is frying chickens in the barnyard. And yet, despite my attraction to these icons of the medium, I have a confession to make. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons. This is The View from the Lounge, and I've never seen Top Gun. Since I've been involved with PCDU, and when it was discovered fairly early on that I'd not watched Top Gun, it was highly recommended that I resolve this lack within my popular cultural education. In fact, Steve, Grant, their respective spouses, ATC Ben, and the majority of the Western world were totally incredulous that I hadn't seen this piece of Hollywood cinematic iconography. It did make me think, however, as to why I had not viewed this particular movie. I was 15 years of age when Top Gun was originally released in 1986, and theoretically, I should have been in the target demographic to run down to the local cinema with a fistful of $1 coins for popcorn or other such allegedly edible substances and queue up for tickets. But I didn't. I've got several theories as to why this did or did not happen. 1986 was the year that also saw the release of Crocodile Dundee, and as an Australian, it was against the law not to see this film. I'm also led to believe that it now forms part of the citizenship test. Another difficulty was that when I was 15, a trip to the local flea house was more than a bit of a treat and an indulgence in a fiscal capacity, and nine and a half weeks, Children of a Lesser God, Salome, and Sorority House Massacre were also released. These had considerably more promise of nudity of a female nature that would appeal to a sensitive 15-year-old lad, so Top Gun was passed over. In the ensuing years, I've noticed that certain quotes and phrases from the movie have entered into the popular idiom. This is not an unusual occurrence, the same as happened with many movies from my youth, like Jaws, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, the list goes on. The majority of the movies that have added to the rich verbal landscape, I have seen and I understand the context in which those famous lines were spoken and can appreciate how and why they've entered the mainstream vernacular. And yet, I still have a degree of trepidation regarding viewing Top Gun. This concern stems not so much from the movie itself, but from the fact that I'm going to watch it for the first time with the eyes and experience of a 41-year-old man and not the open-eyed enthusiasm of a teenager. What I look for now in a cinematic experience is completely different from that of my younger self, and I fear that my well-ingrained movie critic bias has prejudged Messrs. Cruz and Kilmer's work, and I will look at Top Gun with less than appreciative eyes. 
I know that Hollywood is not a representational reflection of real life, and in just about all cases there are a few liberties taken with historical accuracy. But when you're 15 years old, you don't give a fig about that. You want to see explosions, larger-than-life characters, and have, for 90-odd minutes, an adventure. It's that experience and sense of adventure that makes certain movies resonate with the popular psyche, coming mainly from the teenage masses. So when I watch Top Gun, I'll see and hear phrases that everyone has known for over 20 years. I have a funny feeling that Top Gun probably does not reflect the training environment that modern USAF fighter pilots go through, nor do the characters represent those that fill the role. From what I've seen from the few USAF pilots I have spoken to, they are probably a world away from the Hollywood version depicted on the silver screen. So I'll have to suspend the logical, practical side of observation interpretation in my brain and approach this whole exercise for what it is. A bloody good lark. I might not enjoy Top Gun as much as I may have when I was a teenager, and there is a real probability that aspects of the movie will grate against my vaguely refined sensibilities, but at least I'll be able to hold my head up high in public the next time I hear a quote that I know hails from Top Gun, warm in the inner glow and satisfaction that not only do I know what the phrase means, but I've finally watched the damn thing. So, dear listener, you will get a detailed appraisal of my reflections of Top Gun, and hopefully you and I can raise a jar or three of singing syrup to that. Hi aviators, this is Stephen Pam. I make pictures! Whether you're a flyer or just a very lapsed student like me, here's to health, happiness and success in 2013. See you around! Ever dreamt of flying in a warbird? Why not strap yourself in for pure excitement and let a supercharged radial engine take you up to speeds of 200 knots? Dare to push the boundaries as you experience up to 6.5G, fully aerobatic or simply take in the spectacular scenery of Western Port Bay, French and Phillip Islands with 360-degree views. Come and join us at Adventure Wings in Turidan and take flight in our Nanchang CJ6A. Plane Crazy Down Under listeners get the 15-minute flight for only $250. That's a saving of $30. Call us on 0418 525 658 or visit our website adventurewings.com.au. Flying every weekend and other times by appointment. Adventurewings. Leave the ordinary behind. Hi, I'm Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stu, from the Pilot's Journey podcast. And I'm Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stu, inviting you to join us for the Pilot's Journey podcast, where we discuss aviation, proficiency, and most of all, enjoying the journey. You can find us in iTunes or at pilotsjourneypodcast.com. And don't forget to enjoy the journey. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. And welcome back, folks. And uh, I tell you what, uh, that last segment there with the infrequent flyer, uh, you know, should we intervene and uh, tell him that it's actually not uh, the uh, U.S. Air Force pilots he's talking about, the U.S. Navy. But I guess he'll he'll work that out, guys, when he finally watches uh, Top Gun like the rest of the world has. Yeah, and realises, oh, they're landing on a postage stamp. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I tell you what, Anthony is a uh, very, very unique person. And, of course, uh, if you've listened to this show for uh, any length of time, you'll know that. And uh, when he says he hasn't watched Top Gun, you can trust me. I can guarantee you that he hasn't. Apparently he has a copy at home still shrink-wrapped. He does, indeed. He does, indeed. And, in fact, one of the things we, we have thought about doing is actually uh, setting the camera up and watching him... Uh, Watch it. Watching him watch it. That would be quite entertaining, I think. I think we have to do it. It's a moral imperative. Baz, did they ever make a Dutch language version of Top Gun? No, that, you know, that's why we all speak English in the Netherlands, because <laughs> they, don't, they don't dub movies like you know, the Germans do. Oh, uh, you just have subtitles. What well, a bunch of cheapskates. Who would have thought that of the Dutch? Could be worse. It could be like the uh, Polish TV back in the uh, early 90s. A friend was over there and said uh, some movies were, on the state channel were dubbed into Polish with one voice. The same yeah. voice doing all of it. <laughs> and so it's like the guys, the girls, everything. It's the same voice. It got very confusing, apparently. Well, I tell you what, that could be a whole new line of work for me after that uh, professional voiceover training I've been doing this year. Yes, but you had to do How's it your with Polish? the monotone. <laughs> Duja Padushka. Well, I drive Polish made trains. Does that help? Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. You probably have some Polish sausage from the supermarket as well. Yeah, I think they use it to stick the panels together. Wanted to mention too there, uh, just speaking of the infrequent flyer, that uh, we've also put together a, a compilation CD of all his work, all 14 episodes. It's called The Collective View from the Lounge. Now, uh, if you'd like a copy of that, it's uh, $7.50 posted anywhere in Australia or $12.50 uh, Australian posted overseas. Uh, if you're interested uh, in a copy of that, just uh, send us an email here, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. And uh, if you uh, pop uh, the money into our uh, PayPal account via our donate button, uh, we'll be happy to send that off to you. And of course, the more astute of you uh, might uh, realize that I said uh, 14 episodes there, but we've actually only played 13 episodes. So at the time we've uh, recorded this, there's one bonus track on there that uh, we haven't played. In fact, we've got it in storage until the new year. So uh, 14 tracks there, the collective view from the lounge. And uh, yeah, if you like the infrequent flyers work, well, you can hear all the uh, work that he's done for us so far. Fantastic. So, Baz, uh, now we've talked about uh, Eldinga and uh, RAL's issues. Um, let's talk about all things EFB. Oz Runways. I see. Uh, now, I noticed an interesting post on Facebook the other day, Baz. Something about uh, Android. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone started an action group trying to convince us to make an Android version. But no, it's not going to happen anytime soon. It wasn't me. Soon. Honest, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you, McAaron. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> I, ha- I have been uh, doing some stuff with Gerard Frawley at uh, Australian Aviation Magazine to uh, trial of some updates they're doing for that are a little bit more Android friendly for their online reader. But... Uh, yeah, that's that's totally different. And no, it wasn't me. Now, Baz, we cover this issue a lot. And um, this question, I, I know it does come up a lot whenever you do, you know, any of your public events there for Oz Runways. But, you know, for anybody who's new to the show and perhaps uh, hasn't heard this explanation, um, it's it's not a simple recode, is it, to run it on the Android platform? No. Um, if we look at where Oz Runways is now and how much work has gone into it, we've basically got two choices if we want to support Android. One is stop all work on the uh, iOS version for maybe a year or two and uh, let the competitors eat our lunch while we recode uh, an Android version. Or we drop half a million dollars on uh, hiring people to do it, and which is also not really feasible in our business at the moment. So it's, uh, it's a very basic business decision. And at the end of the day, the majority of people that, that become OzRunways customers are actually first-time tablet buyers. They decide they want to have OzRunways before they have a tablet, and they're perfectly happy to buy iPad. Um, it's it's only uh, you know a very small amount of people that already have Android tablets and would really like us to do an Android version or you know, knowing full well 
that we're not doing one, buy an Android tablet anyway, and then complain about the fact that we don't have an Android version. I think I would it, point out that the people there that were trying, that are you know attempting to petition you to come up with the Android, I mean, they, in, in fairness to them, I, I think it was quite a well-intentioned and it was actually quite a complimentary post that they put up there in support of yeah. Osramos. They just prefer to see it uh, you know, running on a different platform. But uh, as you point out there, it's, it's not something that's feasible for you to do at this time. Yeah, we even got an email today from someone who really, really wants it to do it for us to do it for Windows 8 tablets. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that was my next question. It was like, yeah, so when's the Windows 8 version coming out? Yeah, to, 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 be, to be perfectly honest, from a development effort point of view, the Windows version would probably be easier than the Android version because Android is not the nicest platform in the world to to uh, develop for. But, you know, if there's a business case, there's a business case. That's why they call it work. It doesn't have to be fun. Uh, <laughs> what, really? But, uh, you know, for, for us to make that kind of investment for what to us seems like a pretty small increase in, in possibly our uh, revenue. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's like in the early 90s, if you wanted to do desktop publishing, you, you needed a Mac because that was a platform that could do it. And uh, it wasn't a very big business. And uh, later when it grew bigger, you know, the other platforms came along, Windows. Um, and same now, if you want a good aviation device, all the good aviation software is on is on iPad, on iOS. Um, so it's just a choice you got to make. There's a lot of passion around uh, the, these two tribes quite often. It's a lot of tribalism that goes on between the Android camp and the Apple camp. And look, I have Android. I've got a, I've got an Android tablet and I've got an iPad. I mean, they're both fantastic. But I, I, I note at least anecdotally that uh, any of these events where I've been to, uh, and I guess NatFly would probably be the most <laughs> glaring example of this, I think I was the only person at NatFly that didn't have an iPad. I mean, everybody. <laughs> seem to have them now that might have just been because they were all trekking off in droves to go to the master class i don't know but uh, uh par- partially but you know we we do have a lot of customers <laughs> now so it, it's actually a lot of pilots and of course the more active pilots which are the kind of people that go to places like netfly uh and osfly mm. uh the ones you're most likely to be flying are also the ones most likely to actually have invested in this so um uh, you know we're, we're doing really well with the ios version and uh going to continue to do that yeah, actually, I should I should make a, a point out there that uh, I did have a, an iPad at Natfly once I pinched Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, this just really takes me back to the good old days of the platform wars where it was, uh, you know, PC versus uh, Mac back then, you know, PC versus Apple back in the 80s and 90s and all that kind of stuff. And it's just good to see that it's uh, Apple's turn to be the dominant platform now. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's, okay, it's okay, Grant. You will be assimilated. No, 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 no. Because uh, look what happened to Microsoft. Everyone was saying the same. Oh, you know, don't worry about Apple. Yeah, it's just those loonies on the edge. And Microsoft's a dominant platform. And just like the good old phrase of no one ever got sacked for buying IBM, it then became nobody ever got sacked for buying Microsoft. And uh, now it's getting, oh, it might become nobody ever got sacked for buying Apple slash iOS. But, you know, we'll see if that one ever happens. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting watching the more, the more it changes, the more it stays the same, guys. And trust me. Well, and, and trust me, listeners, I've known Grant for a long time now, and he will not be assimilated. I can tell you, <laughs> quite happy. Yeah, it's one of the things that the things that Apple's got going for it now is that it, they make it so easy for us developers. I mean, the iPad Mini came out, and we needed to change absolutely nothing for the software to work. Nothing. It just works just as well as on the the full size ones. And you know, if you're looking at different sizes in the Android world, you're looking at different screen resolutions you have to support. And it's like I said, I've got some some friends and acquaintances here that are in the mobile development uh, game in in Adelaide and, and have some very big uh, apps out there. And that's how they make their money. And they're, they're saying um, that Android has been good for them because mostly they do like the phone applications and Android phones are 
you know, big uh, tablets, not so much. So, but just the support load that they get from the Android side of things is just so much higher, and uh, which especially hits them on if they've got an app. Some apps are, of theirs are much more popular on Android than they are on iOS, and and vice versa. So, if they have one that's very popular on um, on iOS. Uh, they're still getting more support requests and more bugs to fix for different devices on the Android uh, side. So, and of course, for aviation, you want things to be stable and uh, reliable, and you don't want to just buy, go out and buy a new tablet and it turns out it's not really compatible with the software, and then you're going to have to go to the developers and try and ask them to fix it. Uh, and Apple just gives us that really stable environment as developers, and uh, that's why we can move forward so fast. Now, Bez, uh, as we record this, it's uh, obviously a December of uh, 2012, and I notice uh, an update has just pushed through recently for Osramways. Can you tell us about, uh, you know, is there any major changes in that one? No, not at the moment. We're you're seeing bug fix releases now because we're actually working on, on a big uh, major uh, update, which is going to have some great new features in it. It's going to have a great new mapping engine, with, which is going to be a lot smoother and uh, higher quality, and it ties in with a lot of other updates we're doing making it more intuitive even and because uh, you know once you start adding more features things can get cluttered so we're trying to work on uh, on making things simpler again and better integrated more intuitive so that's probably going to be at the end of the first quarter that's what we're shooting for that we will see a big update and uh, they'll definitely be worth the wait so Baz you mentioned a uh, new mapping engine hmm Apple platform iOS mapping engine. <laughs> no. Please tell me you're not using the one that puts Mildura in the middle of the forest. <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, we're not. Uh, we've got uh, another mapping engine that we use that we've been optimizing. And uh, well, can someone sell that to Apple real quick, please? <laughs> quick. I mean, let's face um, it: the biggest disaster ever. Apple Maps. <laughs> I, I would like. You, can, you I, know I, what? I would like to say that, um, interestingly enough, when I was up in Sydney recently and uh, trying to navigate my way out to Richmond in the dark, and uh, I actually uh, took the punt and ran Apple Maps to get, and it took me right to the hotel. Oh. I was going to say the whole Mildura episode, if these persons had gotten lost on the road, hadn't typed in just Mildura, but had typed in a street address in Mildura, it would have taken them there just fine. Oh, picky, picky, picky. I know <laughs> I was navigating to Mildura by, you know, just typing in Mildura and following my Android and it worked on Google Maps. It worked perfectly. That and following the big fat signs on the road. But, yeah, you know. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say, Grant. You yeah. can always follow the big ginormous sign that says Mildura this way. That's right. A bit, yeah, a, a exactly. bit of pilotage a bit of pilotage yeah absolutely hey Bez you guys have been uh, really a travelling roadshow this year getting all around the countryside doing your, your master classes and your presentations uh, obviously you, you are uh, going to continue that in uh, 2013 absolutely we just actually sent out an email <laughs> with the announcement of the update where we also said uh, let us know if your club wants an event because we definitely want to do some more this year uh, of course we're going to be at all the big ones like uh, Netfly and Ausfly but also just little ones at the individual aero clubs and uh, you know, we love doing those and just getting together with the with the our customers with our users and uh, showing them some more new tips and tricks and uh, learning about how they use it and uh, we can go back and uh, hopefully make the product better. You can't understate the value of uh, getting out there and, and really talking to your customers like that. And uh, uh, I know that uh, any time that we tried to get near you at either of those events that you mentioned, it was impossible. You seem to be swamped <laughs> with people. So. I know. It's, uh, sometimes I just have to sneak out and uh, go sit behind a corner with my uh, back to the wall so they can't see the big Oz Runways logo on the back of my T-shirt. And that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just, it's, uh, you, know, you know, you could always good. substitute it for that nice plain crazy down under shirt you've got. Yeah, that would guarantee you not to get swamped. <laughs> <laughs> start calling me Steve. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Do you 
name, not Steve. Well, I guess uh, getting over there and doing all those masterclasses uh, sort of qualifies you to be an instructor, which means, uh, you know, uh, you can uh, join the club. I mean, I'm a bit of a train driving instructor. And uh, Ben, I guess uh, you're now also an instructor. Yes, I'm, I've joined the club of the uh, on-job training uh certified people on this podcast yeah there you go you and me mate I'm feeling <laughs> left out <laughs> so you just lock yourself into a room with some students and show them uh, flight control on the iPad yeah, a little more technical than that yeah. um, oh air, air traffic controller on the uh, Android that's right yes. now of course this uh, has only happened in the last couple of weeks hasn't it Ben that you've been, you're now a newly minted on job training well, they, now we call them in the railways an OJT but you call them an, an OJTI is that right yeah yes uh, so I've got my OJT uh, ticket now so it means that I can sit there plugged in into the uh, into the, the training box that we have in the live environment. And uh, as Rob Mark posted the other day, I've you know discovered the fine line of jumping in too early or jumping in too late. <laughs> I'm tipping jumping in early would be a good thing. I'm, I'm tipping Rivet there's going to be a lot of jumping in early. Rivet shower. <laughs> now, seriously, Ben, can you tell us a bit about the process that you went through to uh, to get this qualification? I imagine it wasn't just something that you uh, you know got off the back of a Wheaties packet. So. Well, at least let's hope not anyway. Uh, no, no, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, there's there's two separate two-day courses that you have to do uh, to, to gain it. Uh, the first is the uh, what you would call the theory side of it, uh, being a, a registered training organisation. So we have to go through uh, there's certain modules out of the uh, the certificate for in training and assessment that we have to do to, uh, to qualify as an instructor. And the uh, the second half of the course, the second two days, is all based on uh, the actual practical sort of side out of it. Uh, you know, the forms that we have to use and um, running through scenarios of uh, you know y- your student does this, when would you hit them over there with the big stick sort of thing. <laughs> now, what does that involve? Does that involve you being assigned uh, you know a student for a particular length of time who you'll take under your wing and, and show them the ropes, or how how does that work in the uh, ATC world? It will eventually. Um, being fresh off the uh, the blocks as it is. Um, I won't get any of the the current uh, trainees that we have on our group, but uh, I might fill in for instructors. Like you know, if, the, if they're actual assigned instructors, not uh, not at work because they're sick or something, um, I might might step in on that on an ad hoc basis. But I won't have any assigned people until the new year. Right. Okay. And what about uh, you know classroom sort of instruction? Does it is your um, role you know, does it involve that sort of stuff over at the college there? Uh, no, this this is just purely on job. So it's the operational simulator and uh, and in the live environment, uh, the classroom thing—that's a—that's a completely separate uh, endorsement altogether, and uh, that's all purely at the um, at the academy for the actual theory subjects. I mean, we do when you're doing the sim course, there's obviously a little bit of instruction incidental to it, um, something sort of akin to your, your pre-flight briefing that you have with your instructor if you're getting your pilot's license, that sort of thing, um, of sort of discussing what you're going to do that particular day and talking about the airspace setup and all that sort of thing, but uh, but not anything like uh, you know like learning separate standards or anything like that uh, by the time they, they get to us they've already covered most of that well I think we should point out for our listeners particularly if uh, if you're sort of new to the show if you'd like to uh, go back and hear a lot about the way that happens through the training college you can go all the way back to episode 17 where we talked to a couple of uh, newly minted air traffic controllers um, well actually one of them is you Ben <laughs> it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away it seems yeah you're you, a new nugget yeah that's right you and that other guy <laughs> yes. yeah where is Pecky these days what's he up to uh, he's he's uh, actually got all all his endorsements on his entire group now, so he's actually a full what we call a fully endorsed controller. Oh my god! Can he walk under the weight of all those endorsements? Um, no, it's it's there's, a, there's quite a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he's uh, in any anywhere between uh, Melbourne and Sydney is is his part of his domain. So. <laughs> 
I'll have to remember that next time I'm out. So, yeah, well, the between, between the two of us, we've got pretty much everything covered out of Melbourne, so you can't really go anywhere. You know, I was totally going to chime up on the area frequency when I was flying out at Mildura last time when it was a chance that you were out working the morning. But uh, I think your morning either finished even before we, yeah, your morning was finishing at 6 and we were just getting in the air around 6, 6.30. So uh, missed the chance to hassle you on on the airwaves. Yes, well, if you ask for the area forecast over the radio, you know what the answer is going to be, Grant. Uh, bad for ballooning. Get on the ground now, now, now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Blue flight is not recommended, I believe, the US frozen. <laughs> well, you know, you did get your revenge on me anyhow with that damn notum. Yes, that's that's true. <laughs> yes, very good, very good. Now, uh, Baz, uh, one of the other uh, topics that you've got written here is uh, CASA EFB um, uh, expletive deleted. <laughs> actually, there's no need for an ex- expletive there at all, actually. It's actually quite good. Oh. Uh, so CASA uh, issued their notice of final rulemaking on uh, EFBs and put out the cap and... Uh, Basically, it's pretty much all good. Uh, we're allowed to use EFBs uh, as, as long as they're approved on their uh, CAR 233-1H for uh, data providers, uh, which Osronways isn't yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, is but, that why they didn't explicitly mention Osronways in the cap? I read it. I was looking for it. Yeah, they actually explicitly mentioned it in their FAQ on the new website. If you go to Kessa uh, website, on the right-hand side in the little buttons with all the little things they're trying to promote at the bottom, it has uh, their EFB guide. Uh, it actually explicitly says that we're not yet approved. But uh, we, we're, we're pretty certain that will happen, and uh, we'll let everyone know when that when that's in. And basically, it's saying, uh, yeah, you can use it as replacement for your URSA and for your maps. Uh, of course, as uh, in, it's not a certified GPS, so it's for situational awareness uh, enhancement only. But VFR flight, all you really need to do is look at the map uh, and uh, fix your position on the ground, and that's what Osromais does perfectly. And of course, also as for all the URSA, of course, you can you can read that perfectly. As as well so uh that's the good news well, um, about three kilos of paperwork alone yeah now there is a bit of controversy about you know not, not everything is quite clarified they mentioned that any device that you you use uh should be of an appropriate size and their recommended minimum is a5 paper size uh, of course the ipad uh certainly falls in that category probably the ipad mini is a Bit of a grey area, but uh, they leave it open to interpretation. It's a little bit smaller than A5, but it's perfect size as well. Uh, what they did say is that the iPhone isn't small enough to be uh, used right. either as a main or as a backup. It's too small. They, they want is... you to have a backup. Uh, this is something that we are definitely going to try and have a conversation with them about because obviously on a you know stormy night you don't want to shoot an IFR approach reading your plate off an iPhone. That's especially with eyes like. It's not going to work. <laughs> but for day VFR as a backup, we believe it is perfectly suitable. I mean, I use it all the time. We've we got to do our testing. And if your iPad fails and you pull your iPhone out and you continue reading your map or look something on the URSA, yeah, it's not as user-friendly, but it's not going to get you into trouble. Uh, so hopefully we can have that conversation with them and uh, convince them that uh, iPhone should be enough as a backup for uh, day VFR. Now, the problem with iPhone as a backup is what if the glitch, God forbid, is within the EFB software itself? Uh, and both are having the problem and you don't have any paperwork at all to back it up. That, that's already, uh, first of all, it's, you know, it's pretty rare that such a thing would happen, but they allow a second iPad anyway, so it'd be the same problem. So if they allow two iPads, they should allow an iPhone as, as backup as well. Uh, there shouldn't be a technical reason other than that they think the screen size isn't big enough. And like we, we want to argue with them that for day VFR, 
far it, it is as backup. Yeah, it's just this is just one, my one concern with the electronic flight bag and things like that is I think they're great. They uh, save a lot of those damned AIP updates. They save a fortune in getting the paper Ursa all the time. There, there's a lot of money saved by being allowed to use electronics and a lot of trees that will possibly live to see another day thanks to this. But if that's all you've got and you need it and it doesn't work for whatever reason, you know, for some some bizarre reason, especially if like a, a backup uses the same operating system, application, data source, all that kind of thing is only a half a backup because yes, yeah, you, you could have one run out of batteries or one die and the other one's still okay. But if there's a, a core fault, something wrong in the core system, then both are going to have the same thing. Now VFR, yeah, you're, you're generally pretty much okay because oh look, there's a there's sort of where I'm supposed to be and I can always get on the radio and squawk help and all that kind of thing. But what do you have as a backup? Do you need a backup if you day VFR? Uh, well, like I said, CASA considers a second iPad backup. No, like a, a backup uh, so against the electronics going. Look, I would, I, I will always have, even if they're outdated, some maps in my ba- my bag because you know I've, I've got a I've got a couple of wax uh, that I'll probably be never updating again. The paper ones, but there's no reason to take them out of my my bag. This another backup is like you say there could be a core fault with the software, but you know, there's there's other mapping software on these devices. So if if you you're flying anywhere near where there is an internet connection because they all require that, mm-hmm. uh, there's other software on there. Uh, yeah, I don't really see it as a as a problem. It's it's one of those uh, those things, especially in day VFR. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not going to get into too much trouble. Yeah. So so overall, you know, Kessa's going to allow it, and uh, uh, hopefully we can get our um, uh, approval sorted and people will be able to ditch the paper or at least hopefully keep some old maps around uh, in the airplane just in case but uh, yeah. uh, overall just uh, use the iPad and those runways so we're, we're pretty chuffed with that. Now that's really good news and uh, can only get better from here so uh, the day that they mention Oz runways specifically as one of the top ones that they the, the cap says these are pretty good as opposed to <laughs> this one's not certified I think you'll be a very very happy man won't you? Oh yeah, the the only people certified at the moment are actually, uh, or it's not, I shouldn't say certified because not certified, they're approved data providers are uh, Jeppesen and the uh, Lidl product, which is uh, one that Lufthansa Systems makes. So that's all airline uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but no, no EFB like Osronis, because of course we're not just an EFB. We're also the navigation device and aviation GPS, um, uh, which of course the the, the other products uh, often are not uh, the currently approved uh, ones. So, uh, but you know, they're, they're the big boys and they look after the airlines and there's a whole lot of uh, general aviation and in, 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 by general aviation, I mean everyone, I mean gliders, I mean yep. ultralights, I mean. We've got balloonatics using it. Yep. You're, you're general aviation. I think the best thing that actually happened with all that, Baz, was the uh, them conceding that a kneeboard is actually something you can attach the iPad to. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, they because like the whole thing, the whole thing of oh yeah, you you, know, you you can have everything on an iPad except you've got to put it away during an approach and everyone's going, well, that's stupid because <laughs> yeah, how do I fly an approach? And this is something that came out of uh, one of the people we have to thank and uh, every pilot should be a member is AOPA because uh, they've done a fantastic job of uh, when the NPRM came out. Uh, Andrew Anderson, the, the AOPA president now, he reads this stuff and he just finds the littlest things and, and knows how to highlight them really well. It's like, some of the things that we'd never thought of, like uh, when you hire an aircraft from a, a flying school, you're actually operating under their AOC. But the NPRM was saying that the AOC holder, the operator, needs to have a system in place for keeping these devices up to date. 
how are you going to do that? You, you just, you run a school and people come in with their own iPad uh, and all those things that uh, probably, I guess I really hadn't thought about. And, and AOPA, uh, Andrew in this case, uh, goes and highlights this and, and these things get uh, get worked out by the time it gets to the, uh, well, hopefully worked out, but gets to the uh, notice of final rulemaking stage. And one of the things that uh, we highlighted was the kneeboard issue. Does that qualify as being stowed? And can you actually still use it while it's stowed? And the answer, of course, is yes. So um, you don't have to, uh, if you don't have a, a permanent inst- install installation for um, attaching the iPad to the aircraft, you can actually put it on one of the various uh, kneeboards for the iPad that's available, and you can use it in all stages of flight. So I guess those uh, Gorilla pod type things and the suction cups and all that, they count as mounting it to the aircraft, don't they? They specifically mentioned those as, yeah, it's fine in flight, but not for approach. And, and, yeah, uh, that, that's, that's where yeah. you have to actually take take it off again. Mm, so yeah. so your yoke mount isn't covered? Possibly. It's, it's very hard to say. I mean, um, I'm not an expert in, in this case, but if you've got something that's actually bolted down, can't fall out, can't come off, mm. uh, you're probably pretty good. But mm. if you're doing something bolted, down on your aircraft, you're looking at getting an engineering order to actually have that put in place. Correct. Uh, as I know, the various schools here, uh, I mean, uh, FDA here at Parafield, they're actually getting all their uh, their entire fleet. Uh, they're getting uh, modified, and an engineering company is actually is iPad holders uh, putting those in the, the aircraft. Um, so, yeah, if it doesn't <laughs> have an engineering can... order or it doesn't have an STC, I guess it, uh, it doesn't apply for using it in all stages of flight, except if it's a uh, kneeboard. And then along came the iPad mini and it all <laughs> went out the window. Well, actually, the iPad mini... Of course, it doesn't fit in uh, like our own exactly. product, the Needle that we, we used to make um, and, and other ones. But, um, you know, the normal metal kneeboards that you've got that, yeah. uh, for, for paper, if you take the clip on that and you probably wrap some tape around it to make it not metal, uh, you can actually clip your iPad mini on there quite nicely. <laughs> well, that's how I put the... Um that's how I put my zoom on. It was not with a clip, but with a couple of rubber bands around it exactly. so they go flying yeah. and recording. I think you're missing yeah. a marketing opportunity there, uh, Baz. You could call it the Knee Doc Mini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah. I'm going to trademark that before we stop recording. Oh, hopefully, hopefully the uh, engineering orders are not specific to a certain size or have some genericity in there because uh, I know when Apple changed the uh, interface that you plug into the bottom of the thing, um, a number of uh, airlines and other groups were gnashing their teeth because they'd just gone and put those uh, standard Apple iPod, iPhone and iPad adapters in a lot of their aircraft for uh, customers to be able to plug straight in. And then Apple went and changed it on all, uh, some of the new ones. And next thing you know, a lot all that stuff that's been put in the seats is going to be useless. Because yeah, they could be something generic like USB. Exactly. Because <laughs> everyone's got the, the, got the cable that goes to USB anyway. I know. Well, here's the, here's the thing, you know, the main thing that changed is the, the original dock connector had actually analog video output, and that's the one that they're using, an analog audio output on that dock connector. You have always been able with the iPad, at least for the audio part, I'm not sure about the video, uh, but for the audio part, to actually use the USB as your audio source. When you plug, uh, say, your iPad or your iPhone into your car radio, which only has USB, it's actually USB audio. Mm. So all those connectors haven't changed. But if you were relying on that analog video connector to be there, then yeah, they've actually, that's what they're doing now. They're using almost pure USB just in a different connector, which is you know far superior. Um, instead of using the digital outputs, 
uh, which is harder, uh, they use the analog outputs. Uh, I just need a USB output so I can uh, plug my uh, gear in and let it charge and plug myself into my own gear. And I don't care as long as I've got that USB port for power, I can get all the way across to the USA. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Well, there you go, guys. I know I've learned something. Uh, whoever said we don't uh, cover a wide and diverse range of topics uh, here on uh, Playing Crazy Down Under? Well, a quick break and then we'll be back to wrap up the year. And uh, as is tradition for our final show of each year, we'll offer our uh, end of year thanks to uh, all the people who've uh, supported us throughout the year. Back shortly. G'day, Ben Jones here, playing crazy down under, West Australian correspondent. I hope everybody had a great Christmas break, had some time off, relaxed, spent some time with their family, friends and loved ones. I'm wishing everybody a happy new year for 2013 and my new year's resolution for 2013 is to try and put some more hours in my logbooks. Ha, we'll see how that one goes. Merry Christmas and happy new year to all the PCDU listeners from Damo, the PCDU banana bender. Take off for the adventure of a lifetime with Ozair Services and the Turidan Flying School, where you can live out your passion and learn to fly. Book a personalised charter flight to Lake Eyre, Flinders and King Island or anywhere in Australia. Or enjoy an adventure flight for yourself or as a gift with scenic and aerobatic flights in the classic Tiger Moth on weekends. Take flight with Ozair Services at the Turidan Flying School. Go to ozairservices.com.au. Hi, this is Max Flight. Besides producing the Airplane Geeks podcast, I run the 30,000 Feet Aviation Directory. If you have a look at the Aviation Podcast page, you'll find links to literally dozens of aviation podcasts. Go have a look and listen to a few. Then come back here and get the real deal at Plane Crazy Down Under. Get your genuine Nanchang CJ6A flight today with Adventure Wings at Turidan. Special offer for PCDU listeners. Adventurewings.com.au Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com Well, that's about it for uh, this uh, year, 2012. Uh, tell you what, Grant, what a big year we've had. Uh, we haven't been overseas this year, but I tell you what, we've done a lot of travelling. I think I was trying to count. I think we've been to New South Wales uh, at least four times this year, and uh, I've been to South Australia. So we've, uh, it's been a great year. And uh, you know, personally, I think um, actually this year has been our best in terms of production. We've had some fantastic shows this year. I've been really pleased with the way the uh, the program's gone. Oh, definitely, mate, definitely. And uh, you know, we may not have made the long 10 or 12 hour trek from uh, Melbourne all the way across to LA and on to Oshkosh and so on, but uh, that uh, drive back from Narromine in one day, that was pretty intense. That was a 10-hour drive, 10 or 12-hour drive. That was pretty intense. Yeah, it certainly was, although uh, you know, you did it in one day. I didn't. I, uh, I actually staged back over two days via my in-laws, who were about uh, halfway on the way back. But speaking of the uh, the trip, of course, I guess the highlight of the year for you, Ben, uh, without doubt, would be the trip to the US and uh, your uh, experience there at Oshkosh with all our podcasting brethren. Yeah, absolutely. Getting to meet the voices in my head. Um, yeah, what it was just amazing... Uh, journey over there and uh just the week just flew by um pun intended mm. and uh and yeah it was 
just like meeting all these people and uh, just get, having this conversation. And you know, a lot of the conversations over there were actually, you know, and you get to this this crazy part of the week where you start talking to somebody and you're getting along really well, and then you find out what their Twitter handle is, and you're like, oh, hang on a second, I've already been talking to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, we talk about Oshkosh uh, being the the pinnacle of the aviation calendar, I guess, for uh, people in our niche uh, right around the world. Uh, Baz, I note with interest you've already booked your ticket for uh, next year. Oh yes, absolutely. Make sure you take that nice recorder we bought for you. And your PZDU shirts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Grant, I don't know whether you and I will make it. Uh, if I had an ambition for next year for overseas travel, there's some pretty cool events going on over there in uh, New Zealand I wouldn't mind getting to next year if uh, we did manage to squeeze an overseas trip. Yeah, I haven't been back to the land of my birth for quite a while, so yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Baz, I know you've been very, very busy with Oz Runway stuff, but uh, highlight of the year for you? Um, highlight of the year, of course, you know, Oz Runway's been pretty good and it's been getting bigger, and I think the highlight of the year is probably that I decided to give up working for other people and just focus on those runways at the same time being able to move somewhere where I've got a runway in the front yard. Oh, just twist the knife a little more, mate. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome, mate. That is awesome. And now how far out of Adelaide are you just out of interest? Not, not a lot. If I want to get into the CBD, it's going to be an hour at most. Uh, and, you know, I've got very little need to be there, to be honest. Um, it's There's a couple of uh, larger towns uh, and that are getting larger all the time. Close by here, so all the shops I need. I can go to the cinemas and some pretty nice cinemas and uh, some good eating options. I'm right next to the Barossa. So there's plenty of cafes and cellar doors and all this sort of stuff. So it's actually a great location. I, I wouldn't have considered it while I was still working in the city for other clients. But now that I work from home, I can be as far as I want to be. So. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Now, when you say it's got a runway in the front yard, you've got a, a sizable plot of land there. How much of an actual runway is it? And uh, if it's not, when will it be um, you know suitable for the sporty? Or is the sporty already there? No, it's not there yet because uh, there was a sharecropped canola on it. So uh, we're now getting to the point where I need to start dragging uh, some railway sleepers behind the jackaroo and uh, <laughs> try and flatten it out a little bit and then uh, land it. It's, uh, you know, it's not going to be for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's not the world's <laughs> best runway. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's adequate for the sport if you know what you're doing. And uh, I've, I've done some practice approaches where I think my wheels might have almost touched the canola. Uh, and it's it's very doable. I just need to uh, get it flat enough, get the bumps out, get the, the bit le- leftover bits of canola um, <laughs> and plants, and uh, then should be good to go. Sounds more like something that I'd land a balloon on or maybe a gyrocopter rather than a fixed-wing aircraft, mate. You, you'd stay away from this. There's, there's power lines. Uh, not Ooh, too a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, it's they're not in the way for me, but you know, if you stuff it up and you float a bit longer, yeah, yeah, just so, call so me what you're saying is I'm not taking the cirrus in there anytime soon. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, there's actually uh, for you know when I grow up and I'm rich, uh, the other side of the uh, of the property is actually a lot better, but that's got some like single strand power lines on that that weave their way from uh, the, the neighbors to a pole on the road yep. to us to other neighbors. So if if I ever get rich enough to underground that, they'll have a a really nice. 600 meter strip with virtually no obstructions and that that would be the dream but you know i'm going to be here for a long time so hopefully we'll get to that that's called a swirl line dude single wire earth return and it is the bane of my existence when i'm flying <laughs> in the country because you can have a kilometer wide paddock and uh, all you'll see is perhaps what looks like a clump of grass and then you'll realize there's a pole and then you'll realize that there's 500 meters of wire 
going yep. from one to the other and the other poles are buried in the scrub and um, trees on the uh, boundary of the paddock and you get very very good at picking out those um, I think not quite at the speed that a uh, a um, ag plane goes at but uh, we're very good in the ballooning world at picking or t- attempting to pick the uh, where those poles are because otherwise you've got no chance of seeing one of those swirl lines mate this is why I'm very happy that the Cirrus has a parachute yeah but the parachute <laughs> doesn't work too well at 300 feet <laughs> Well, hopefully I'd get to the parachute before I got to 300 feet. (laughs) Yeah, but we're coming back up to 300 feet. (laughs) (laughs) When you're skimming a field at, uh, you know, just above the height of the canola or the grain, um, it's a lot of fun, but you've really got to have your eyes open for that, mate. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, those swirl lines can be a real pain. Well, Grant, talking of ballooning and uh, and all things uh, related to it, I guess uh, obvious, the obvious highlight of the year for you would have to be uh, getting your ticket, getting yeah, certified. Definitely, mate. Oh, I've been certified for a long time. Yeah, but, uh, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being being uh, now officially allowed to uh, go and scrounge a balloon and go fly it solo, um, I'm really loving that. It's just been magic. Um, a lot of fun, a few flights in Mildura, a few flights in Bendigo, and uh, in Maryborough as well. Yeah, so. yeah. It's it's, have you had any non-ballonatic victims yet? No, no. Not yet. Um, let's just say I wanted to do a couple of flights, build a few hours, um, just to prove to myself that I could do it and get comfortable. I'm now feeling pretty comfortable, uh, particularly with that one aircraft that I have been flying, Bravo Lima, Quebec. It's a, a 77 balloon, 77,000 cubic feet. So good for pilot plus a couple of people. Uh, that was the one that had the famous photo of me flying it on my own with the uh, mist and the sun behind it and all that uh, very early morning and Bendigo that I uh, put up on Facebook and uh, seemed to get a lot of appreciation from people. So I think, uh, yeah, a little bit of a familiarization because it's been a few months. I've been flat out with work. Uh, another flight uh, when it gets a bit cooler again on the other side of uh, maybe January, February area. And uh, yeah, I'll start chucking some people on board and scaring hell. I mean, you know, giving them a fun ride. <laughs> Uh, we know that will never be Steve. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you need ballast, I suppose I could always, you know, weight the balloon down for you or something like that. <laughs> Mate, you'd probably do better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you and I on the same balloon. <laughs> I'll probably overtempt the damn thing getting off the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, folks, uh, you wait till you hear some outtakes from our recent Matt Hall interview uh, early in the new year. That'll talk oh. all about uh, issues to do with weight and balance, but uh, that'll yeah. have to be uh, looking and- forward. And I think by the time that one goes live, we'll be able to give an update on the challenge. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. I got to say, without any doubt, of course, the uh, the highlight of my year was my recent ride on the C one thirty Hercules uh, coverage of which you'll hear. Uh, it's planned to be in the next episode, episode ninety nine. Um, that that to me was a payoff for four years of hard work on this project. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, you know, we know a lot of people that have been around Hercules and flown on them a lot and like, oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. Well, I tell you what, to me, someone who got knocked back by the Air Force many, many years ago, and uh, I think, uh, you know, it's it's been a bit of a, a hook in my craw for a long time, but uh, I think I've finally forgiven them now. <laughs> it was a real payoff for me. It was a fantastic experience, even if I did feel a little queasy by the end of it. But, well, uh, you were the only one who didn't hurl. You yeah, and the loadmaster. Yeah, me and the loadmaster, but uh, I tell you what, uh, another five minutes or if I'd eaten that lunch the loadmaster put out, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, no, I was pretty happy. But uh, yeah, towards the end of that flight, I did have my eyes closed for a while, <laughs> concentrating on my breathing. In a Hercules, yeah, just about, just about. You'll yeah. have to you'll have to wait till the next episode, Bez, and find out all about that. Let's just say the phrase zero G and vomit comet were not far away from uh, what was going on back there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think the yeah. the flight deck for Sydney Harbour though that was that was a choice spot to be. You really lucked with that one. Well, of course, uh, looking forward to uh, twenty thirteen. Of course, it is an Avalon year, and uh, I can tell you, folks, that plans are already, uh, you know, being formulated for our coverage. And, uh, of course, we have a much bigger team now, so we're, we're planning a, a far more comprehensive uh, coverage uh, compared to the last time. And let's face it, last time was uh, pretty flat oh, out and hectic. That was very draining. 
training. But uh, we've got some big plans for Avalon this year. As I said, uh, you know, some, I don't know, we always, we never, we never really want to uh, talk too much about overseas trips. That all depends on what we can squeeze from our sponsors and more more importantly, what I can squeeze out of the rostering department of my employer. But And uh, uh, how many, uh, you know, leave passes we can collect from family. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we're really looking forward to uh, going into our fifth year of playing Crazy Down Under. And, uh, you know, I don't know about changing the format. I think we worked uh, this year to change the format up. I've been really happy with the way that's gone, having different co-hosts every week that uh, I think is, has worked very, very well. And uh, it's been great having a, a wider variety of uh, people on the show to uh, bring different experiences and different levels of knowledge. It's been fantastic. I've, I've really enjoyed this year of the show. How about you guys? I've, been, I've really enjoyed We're listening stunned. to it. I mean, it's, uh, I have to say, PCU, it's a very unique podcast. It's got a <laughs> bit of the hanger flying. It started It started as the hanger flying airline podcast, which, you know, wasn't... Uh, Probably wasn't the best format, but it, that's how you got started. And but now the, all the interviews with very interesting people uh, in the GA world, mostly, um, and some some good military stuff uh, in depth uh, thrown in. I mean, it's a unique podcast, and you know, I listen to every episode, uh, of course, and uh, you know, love it. Yeah, well, mate, you've been with us uh, right since the very early days, and uh, like I say, even though you're not on every show, it's uh, you know, we we still uh, count you as a valuable member of the team, mate. And uh, obviously, uh, we want to thank our sponsors, and of course, uh, Oz Rumways has uh, provided. A, a huge amount of support to our show this year. Uh, if you enjoyed our uh, coverage, for example, of Parafield, uh, well, basically, on Oz Runways made that happen, and uh, the, obviously, uh, you've come on board and uh, you know been a, a naming rights sponsor to the show for the last few months and on into the new year. So we really do appreciate that, mate, because it makes it uh, so much easier for us to get the show produced and uh, you know make it a show of real quality. Uh, we're happy to do that, and uh, you know, compared to uh, magazine advertising, I reckon this is much better value for us. We still do some magazines, but uh, it's just you know the the audience I think is you know, much more interested and um, it's just uh, like I said uh, I don't want to say you guys are cheap but for the price of of you know one half page in a magazine I can get you guys to Ozfly and I think that's uh, that's really great for the show and I think we get much better value out of that single page that we would have otherwise spent the money on well I appreciate that mate and uh, of course if you know if you're ever up for renewing that uh, sponsorship you just let me know oh, I will uh, be we'll, tot- we'll, be, we'll be there next year don't worry about it I'll be totally reminding you of that phrase about uh, you know better bang for the buck to get us to Ozfly thanks mate now you're our principal <laughs> Ozfly sponsor alright we're Ozfly sponsor this year yeah, you got me prices <laughs> just went up uh, <laughs> a bigger team to take you know we're flying I'll, we're not driving I'll get you some uh, some pizzas from that uh, stone baked uh, uh, pizza yeah, trailer yeah. Yeah, we've, we've done well extracting pizza. I think Ben and I extracted a fair amount of pizza out of you up there at uh, Netflix this year, so to speak. Oh, yes, I did. That, that, was, that, was, good. that was good pizza. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Not just a pizza, I got your room as well. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> that, that, that was, yeah, I was, I was going to say, you was, we're not camping at Netflix next time. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because... Uh, we're we're, we're, not we're sure going straight to the Osra Blaze house. Actually, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I note with interest that uh, that cottage um, is for sale. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's still for sale, but uh, I, hope, I hope it's still for rent next year i need to give him a call but uh the uh the first night we had someone else in there so i didn't think of giving it to you but you guys showed up for beer and pizza you had to look around the place and said hmm this room looks empty before i could say yeah you can have it you were already out the door walking back to the campsite to collect your gear <laughs> yes <laughs> i'll be right back <laughs> and that was a great night with uh you know we had we had Dean and uh, Rowan and uh, Dean's uncle Pete. <laughs> That's some great war stories oh, from look. from his uh, days in uh, business, including aviation business. And uh, I didn't know that, that was, was his an uncle. awesome night. Yeah, that, that was that was good fun. 
one. So I got I got to say, it sounds like much better digs than uh, I had at Ozfly, where I was sleeping in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our enduring memory of this year will be uh, camp uh, camp Ozfly with that camper van we got, and Grant squeezed into the top like a sardine in I, a can. It was I unbelievable. Could, I could barely go sideways in the thing. It was like you know, because you look at the thing and it's like, oh yeah, a big high roof in the van, and must be good room to have a bunk in there. But no, what they do is that for structural reasons, the um, the floorboards of the top deck go across the roof area where the roof would normally be of the van. So you've only got about two feet at most, if that, to uh, try and... Uh Mm, yeah, it's a coffin. It's a coffin. It was. It was. It was hilarious. And Grant, you so you you were so enthusiastic to uh, let my son Chris use your tent, and then you couldn't. Yeah, Chris, do you want to change? You sure you don't want to go in the van? And Chris says, No, 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 thanks. <laughs> Quite happy in the tent. Thank you. <laughs> Damn it! I should have known. Once you get a scout in a tent, it's like trying to get a limpet uh, yeah, line that's off. Right. Uh, that's my boy. Chip off the old block. <laughs> uh, we had a really good B and B actually at uh, Osfly, and while we were there, we. Uh, just uh, paid a uh, deposit for next year. So we'll be in the same one. Nice and, one. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It sounds like if there's going to be a room in a house, Ben Air might just put a flight on specifically to get up there. And uh, the big question is, Mr. Uh, CEO of Ben Air, will you have twin rating by then? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in the singles, but I'm getting uh, working on getting my Cirrus transition training done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's only so. good for getting you and Steve up there. I mean, you know, a Cirrus with three or four big guys is going to go, you know, next to nowhere and next to no time. Yes, but well, you've you got a balloon. Yeah, just get an you air got a balloon just, ticket. You're just going to have to leave a week earlier than everybody else. Just get checked out in, a, in an air van. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get or the a, air van ticket. Yeah. Or a, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there to Gipsero. If if you uh, if you give me the check ride, I will fly it. Ah, well, we uh, we do have I'll, a test I'll, flight. I'll fly up. anything if the price is right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have another episode title. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'll fly anything I can get my hands on, and, and I'm allowed to. And uh, Ben will do it for money. And <laughs> more, it's more to reduce the amount of money that I have to expend. Yeah, funny that. So, uh, and uh, talking of sponsors, of course, we want to uh, thank all the other sponsors who've helped support the show, most notably. Of course, uh, Jet Ride Australia, Mark Pracy and his team up there, wonderful support for us uh, the last couple of years, in fact, and uh, we can't uh, thank those guys enough for the uh, the generosity they've displayed towards us and our program. And uh, yeah, we certainly hope that, uh, you know, that's that's ongoing again. And, uh, you know, we haven't uh, caught up with Mark since the Reno Air Races, but uh, we'll, we'll make sure we do that very early on in the new year. Our friends at Oz Air Services, Avsoft, of course, uh, Adventure Wings, our new advertiser, Aero Refuelers and QBE Insurance. Uh, they helped out with the Ozfly coverage. And uh, actually, when it comes to Ozfly, we want to thank the Narrowmind Shire Council, who uh, basically cancelled their own uh, public address system contract and uh, gave it to us instead and uh, let us run Ozfly Radio. That was a real experience and uh, very much appreciated. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a chat some more with uh, Aero Refuelers and uh, QBE Insurance, Um, also EQ1. uh, They're probably going to come along. They're part of the group that uh, uh, Jetride uh, being sponsored and supported by. Uh, Jetride gets support from from EQ1 and Aero Refuelers and uh, also aviation trader so uh to say thanks to uh, Jetride, we're also going to say thanks to those guys and, and give them a bit of a plug through the year coming up uh just to say uh you know thank you very much for supporting Jetride and in turn helping to build uh, aviation in australia with all the work they do so uh yeah definitely looking forward to uh getting on with some more people and uh bringing in a few more interviews now of course as is tradition every year we want to uh, offer a great uh, word of thanks to uh, our friends over there in the u.s uh, i guess in canada these days courtney miller and max flight for inspiring this program in the first place without the the urging and the encouragement and the mentoring of those two guys this show would never have started in the first place so uh, we, we always like to thank those two uh, gentlemen uh, at this time of the year uh, 
uh, Grant, uh, I want to also thank my wife, as I always do at this time of the year. <laughs> she is a, uh, a podcast widow, my wife, Kathy, and I always feel sorry for her because I spend far more time uh, than I should uh, doing this podcast. And uh, she's a, a great support to the team and uh, supplies a lot of uh, jam and baked goods to the team these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very happy to receive that. And uh, yeah, ditto. My thanks go out of, out to Kit, of course. Uh, you know, she puts up with me running around uh, like a chicken with its head cut off for the uh, for the ballooning company. I'm kept very busy there as uh, systematizing various parts of the operation. And uh, yeah, now also kept very busy like a uh, head with its chicken cut off uh, over here at PCDU. If I'm not at uh, the ballooning company, I'm over here at PCDU and it's all crazy. But fortunately, there's enough time to actually spend a bit of time with Kit and uh, let her go. Hang on, why am I with this guy? <laughs> and last, of course, but not least, we want to thank each and every one of you who's uh, listened to the program. We've had a lot of new listeners uh, come on board this year. Uh, I'll be honest, our listener numbers were down just a little bit at the start of the year but they've certainly rebounded uh, very, very strongly uh, towards the end of this year, which has been fantastic. So to all of you who are new to the show, a, a big welcome to you. Thanks for listening. This show is all about community and uh, it's all about, uh, you know, just showcasing everything that goes on here uh, in the Australian uh, aviation scene. Indeed, mate, indeed. So uh, on behalf of the entire Plane Crazy Down Under team, myself, Graham McHeron, David Vanderhoof, Anthony Simmons, the infrequent flyer ATC, Ben, who's with us tonight, Baz Sheffers, Dan Morris in New Zealand, Anthony Crichton-Brown, Kathy Mexted, Ben Jones, Peter Johnson in the UK, Damien Rose, Stephen Pam, our videographer, and of course, Ellen Van Page, a wonderful roadie and a mobile studio operator and uh, who's uh, been a fantastic help to us this year. We want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas, a safe and prosperous New Year, and uh, we'll see you all in 2013. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you see Santa flying around, you should tell him this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer, Grant McHeron, ATC Ben, and Baz Sheffers. You can find us on Twitter as PCDU, and for more information about the team, feedback, storylines you'd like us to follow, or any advertising inquiries, go to our website, planecrazydownunder.com. Plane Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Yeah. Yeah, the um, that oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Clang, <laughs> and the bloopers have started. Oh, shut up! <laughs> Interesting. That he's talking to his friends on the computer. Oh, good. They can't hear you. Oh, I was hoping that. Which, which, which is a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you gonna are you gonna do sleepy sleeps? Yeah. Yeah. So we're all the kids sleeping under the park. I know. 
Wait, he wants to smoke some he pot to go pot. to sleep? Jeez. Wait a minute. <laughs> Jeez, just liberal minded <laughs> right. Adelaidians. You close, can you close the door and tell mummy that daddy's on the phone to his friends? Bloody Dutchman, I tell you. <laughs> you were from Amsterdam, weren't You're you? You're coming from one of those cafes. <laughs> what? What, 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 what? 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 What did I miss? Oh, nothing, mate. How are you? It's, it's all right. We're, we're taking what your kid said and misquoting it. Yeah. So oh, okay. Referring to can't sleep without pot. <laughs> no, the cats are sleeping under the pot. Oh, uh, flower pot. Yes, and a big hello to that gorgeous Channel Ten reporter who brought up her lunch right next to me. That was uh, rather interesting. And <laughs> <laughs> that might be a cut. <laughs> I was going to say she wasn't that good looking. Weren't looking down your nose at me when I said I was a freelance after that, were you? Huh? huh? <laughs> 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 who kept what down now? Slam. <laughs> next Honage. time, go with a t-shirt. Uh, <clears throat> when you go to a big media event, I wear a t-shirt that says "Podcasters keep their lunch." Oh, yes, it is. Really? Yep. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just like Edit the point, FAA. Steve. Edit point. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I haven't can, got can, the can we, just, here. Can, can we just have that really on the tape, though? <laughs> Hang on. You want to hear my worst Red Bull experience? Mm-hmm. So here I was. I'd been working all week in Dusseldorf and fly back to London, and Kylie and her friends had these big plans to go out. And it's uh-huh. going to be a late one, and it's like, oh, I'm going to have to go along. You know what? I'll have a couple of Red Bulls. And then it comes later and later, and it becomes clear that they're not going to go out, and we're going to bed at about <laughs> 11. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't sleep until about 3. <laughs> Sucker. I'm on the farm now. I don't need to get up early. Dude, you're a man of leisure. All night codathons. A man of leisure. <laughs> I was going to say, what, you, 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 know, you don't need to, you know, Get up early and milk the cows and fade the. Cur- oh, that's right. You live in South Australia. <laughs> he, he gets. He needs to um, get up early and milk the cash cow that is Oz Runway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I've got an app for that. What that tells you how much you've earned from Oz Runways today? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, so where's, where's that cash register stay out of fix, yeah, dude? No. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. <laughs> so this is this is this is the app that tells you that you're now, you know, ten percent closer to that Mooney. Yeah, this is this is Baz in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be the other way around, should be cash and then cow instead no, of cow no, cash. No. Uh, <laughs> that's tight. That's tight. <laughs> he's very tight. Eat, you know. eat that Adam Curry. Anyway. He's ready to toy, you know. <laughs> Stick around, folks. We'll be right back, he says in his strange radio voice. (laughs) (laughs) There's always got Kransky in between each carriage. Yeah, Krapsky. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I actually uh, took the punt and ran Apple Maps to get, and it took me right to the hotel. Because my hotel hotel was in the middle of the bay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Baz. I was going to say the whole Mildura episode. If they they get to us, they've already covered most of that. I'm sorry. I'm oh, she's gonna, pointing at me, and I'm I thought going, you were going to say something. No, I'm just going. Wow, <laughs> this is all cool, man. Anyone, anyone, Bueller, anyone, anyone. Bueller. Well, that just brings. Well, that just brings. I can't do it now. Yeah, you have the vod- the vodka Red Bull, okay? Yeah, geez, I shouldn't have had that extra glass of water. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I love Pod- it. I, th- I think we have an episode. Yeah, title. <laughs> podcasters do not hurl in the back of a C-130H, mate. <laughs> <laughs>